in a voice resembling President Obama. Welcome back, listeners, to the second half of our journey on reality issues. This is your host, post-presidential AI Obama, and I'm joined, as always, by Kathy and Brian. As the keeper of the legendary Chaos Emeralds, I assure you we are well-equipped to take on the challenges of any issue. Our second part today is intriguingly titled, The Pepsi Universe, I'd Like to Buy the World, a Coke. Now that might seem a bit contradictory at first glance, but as we dive into it, the pieces will start falling into place. We'll be exploring the fascinating world of graphic design, a world where images, symbols, and words intertwine to create compelling narratives. The design stories of Pepsi and Coke, two titans of the beverage industry, are filled with insights about branding, competition, and cultural influence. As we navigate through the Pepsi universe and the world of Coke, we'll be wrapping up our discussions on North American history, at least for now. But don't you worry, we'll be revisiting this subject again soon. It's a rich tapestry, one that demands our attention and continued exploration. So, grab your favorite beverage, be it Pepsi, Coke, or something else entirely, and buckle up for a stimulating ride into the universe of graphic design and a refreshing look at North American history. Let's get started.
that was fun. I'm still gonna do that. So yes, uh, let me just make sure the numbers are going again. Okay, the numbers are going again. Yes, yeah, so I just took a phone call, uh, which I thought it was recording, but it doesn't matter because it's probably better. You would have picked up the voice <laughs> and everything anyway. So yeah, we're, uh, um, I don't mean to interrupt completely, but yes, this- um, No, this is important this is too. Good. Let's Thank pause you. here. Cool. So I'm sorry that you haven't heard about this. So what did you just find out? I just got a phone call about the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and how they were stopped from receiving an award alongside a bunch of other people who have been performing, I guess, for a while with the Dodgers uh, at events and stuff. And uh, it was because of the request of some individuals um, and it was like they were lined up to receive the award. It was already announced that they were going to get it. And then after that, they uh, un like unannounced them receiving it. Uh, a Twitter, I saw this earlier, a Twitter thing, up, but I didn't understand okay. the context of what was happening. A Twitter okay. message, a Twitter, they put out an image that was just a block of text that said basically like they're disinvited, although gave no context about anything about any of it. <laughs> but they are queer and trans nuns in order of queer and trans nuns uh, they believe all people have a right to express their unique joy and beauty since their first appearance in san francisco on easter sunday 1979 the sisters have devoted themselves to community service ministry and outreach to those on the edges and to promoting human rights respect for diversity and spiritual enlightenment who use humor and irreverent wit to expose the forces of bigotry etc so on if if folks go to their website which is where we're at um, you can see their statement in response to the dodgers um joking though it is right like they have actually done this kind of ministry it also started, I say started a lot because of the AIDS crisis, right? Where folks were having a really difficult time mourning and where the Catholic church was refused, because of course it condemns homosexuality, was not necessarily performing the Catholic final rights um, to folks who were dying during the AIDS crisis. So as a Catholic myself, right, like, I was raised Catholic anyway, so I definitely have, like, Catholic tendencies. Um, I've always been a big fan. Um, and as someone who always wants to fuck nuts. <laughs> and in this particular instance, they are being stopped from receiving something that they were already announced to receive, which I think is, like, the weirdest message to send ever. Mm -hmm. Also from a team that is identifiably one of the teams that is more embracing of like all communities at large, which is very strange, especially in a city that is Los Angeles, just specifically very strange, very strange. In fact, anyway, um, worth noting. Yeah, no, it's fucked up. So, Boo. Yeah, I got glad a phone. I, put it this way, I, I got a phone call shit. just to tell me about it right now. So that's all the phone call was about. No, that's good. Yeah. Good. Good. I'm glad they're giving you a heads up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you keep drinking out of that fucking Yankees cup. God damn it. <sighs> okay. 
Okay, so there's a lot of other shit that happens in this book, as you can imagine, because it gets really. I went to a baseball it gets pretty game. Awesome. I brought the cup home with me. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm recycling. So yeah, eventually, sorry. no, it's okay. It's okay. So eventually, they uh, they do get off Galveston Island. Let's go back there. Where was I? Is that it? Yeah, there it is. They leave. Oh wait, hold on. See? Escape. Where am I? Can I have a picture of it? Yeah. Okay, so they leave Galveston Island. Okay. They went ashore. And they're like, whoa, what the fuck is going on? They ate blackberries all month once they land ashore. Uh, that sounds healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they needed it. They needed it. So, uh, they, they kind of take advantage of the fact that, like, they're kind of being worshipped as, like, medicine men, wise men. They're like, oh, you guys know how to, like, remove a splinter, you know, mm. or something. Um, and so they're trying to, like, really play that up, but it doesn't really work. Okay. Um, so, uh, after two of our Spanish folks returned from Galveston Island, uh, they rounded up, the, the, the native, the indigenous people rounded up all of the surviving Christians. We totaled 14. Da-da-da-da-da. Uh, it says... Uh, they split so the so the natives bring together all of the Spanish dudes and are like, oh, what are we gonna do? And they go, well, let's split them up. And so they say, he writes, the author of this guy, uh, Cabeza de Vaca, writes, I had to stay with the Capokes for more than a year because of the hard work they put me to, and their harsh treatment. I resolved to flee. <laughs> Wait, my life. Yeah. So they basically. Put him into slavery, forced labor, which is um, good. Okay. And he's like, fuck this. I don't want to do this. I want to leave. So he says, my life had become unbearable. In addition to much other work, I had to grub roots in the water or from underground in the cane breaks. Oh, my fingers crazy. got so raw that if a straw touched them, they would bleed. The broken canes would often slash my flesh. Wow. I had to work amidst them without the benefit of clothes. So I set to contriving how wait, I might wait. transfer to the... <laughs> this guy, what is this guy's appreciable skills before now? He like, he wrote, he can write words. <laughs> like, I guess, <laughs> I guess. They're like, do it. Okay, sorry. So he wants to flee. Mm -hmm. He's like, all right, let's get the fuck out of here. Uh... I set to contriving how I might transfer to the forest dwellers. My solution was to turn to trade. I did my best to devise ways of making my traffic profitable so that I could get good food and good treatment. The various Indians would beg me to go from one quarter to another for things they needed. Their incessant hostilities made it impossible for them to travel cross country or to make many exchanges. But as a neutral merchant, I went into the interior as far as I pleased. Consensus, so editor's note, 
consensus is that he got as far as Oklahoma. Uh, that's a completely different world. Yeah. Like from... They believe he made it all the way over here. Wow. That's an entire book that we'll never know about that person. Yeah, no, they just, they just, they just allied right over. But he was like, where do you think you went? He's like, I don't know, over here. And then I came back down this way and it took me like seven days. But he did. Okay. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No, this shit's nuts. Okay. Uh, It's a neutral merchant. Thinks he got. And along the coast, 40 or 50 leagues. Um, My principal wares were cones and other pieces of sea snail. Conches used for cutting, sea beads, and a fruit like a bean from mesquite trees, which the Indians value very highly, using huh. it for a medicine and for a ritual beverage in their dances and festivities. I don't know what this that is. This is the. I don't know. Hmm. I like some kind of a pine cone, I guess, but hmm. I don't know. Like acorn, maybe? Or like. No, well, cashews don't exist there. But I was thinking. Yeah. No, I want to find all that shit out too. Like I'm anyway. But it's a yeah, different yeah. Story. I want to know. I do. I really want to know. Like what if it was so valuable to them? There must have been something mind altering. To some level, it was a significant thing to like get. So what was it? it wasn't just like basic food. It had to have some extra value. Mm-hmm. By barter, I got brought back to the coast skins red ochre which they rub on their faces hard canes for arrows flint for arrowheads with sinews and cement to attach them and tassels of deer hair which they dye red this occupation suited me i could travel where i wished was not obliged to work and was not a slave wherever i went the indians treated me honorably and gave me food because they liked my commodities they were glad to see me when I came and delighted to be brought what they wanted. I became well known. So he becomes the postman. He becomes Kevin Costner's the postman. That is amazing. I mean, because it's like. Right? That's incredible, isn't it? It's an amazing story, and it should be told in more words than that. But that's all we will ever get. Yeah, this is all we get. Yeah, this is it. And then that, that paragraph ends. The hardships I endured in this journeying business were long to tell. Peril and privation, storms and frost, which often overtook me alone in the wilderness. By the unfailing grace of God our Lord, I came forth from them all. Just full screen this. Kind of follow. Here's Galveston. Okay. Uh... Hardships I endured, pursuit, da-da-da-da-da. I was in this general coastal region nearly six years, alone among the Indians and naked like them. The reason I remained so long was my intention of taking the Christian, Lope de Oviedo, away with me. Hmm. His companion and the rest had been left beho- who had been left behind had died soon after their departure. To get Oviedo, the last survivor there, I passed over to the island every year and pleaded with him to come over with me to attempt the best way we could contrive to find more Christian people. But every year he put me off, saying, 
let's do it next year. Why? Wow. At last, after four years of asking, in 1532, I got him off the island, across the strait and across four large streams, which took some doing. Are you ready for this? Because Oviedo could not swim. Okay, so that's right. So, the man lived. You have heard this correctly. A man from <laughs> Europe came all the way across on some rickety ass fucking boat, Brian. This man really trusts some motherfucking boats. It takes at least five to eight weeks back then to get from Spain and Portugal over to these areas. So, no, doesn't know how to swim. Now, lives by the ocean, presumably. <laughs> they know oysters. They know fish. They're familiar with that. <laughs> I understand some really nice beaches in Ibiza or whatever, <laughs> right? So, That's right. months on a boat across the ocean. Months <laughs> stranded on a fucking island. <laughs> And he doesn't know how to swim. That's uh, and years, in fact, putting off uh, being saved, right? Do you think he's? Do Do you think that that one was an exaggeration? That, frankly, I fucking believe that. One. No, that was all completely accurate because there's no way you would go to that extent to tell a story that like I'm the biggest fool on the planet. <laughs> it's like, that's great. Oh my god. So he meets some Indians, they go, hey, we know, we think we know where there's some Christians, and they go, really? And then they find some other Indians. We asked how the living Christians fared. Badly, they replied. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's about, I mean, that sums it up. The boys and some of the Indian men enlivened their dreary idleness by constantly kicking, cuffing, and cudgeling the three living slaves. <laughs> Such was the life they led. Oh my god. We inquired of the region ahead and its subsistence. They said there was nothing to eat and that the few people were dying of cold, having no skins or anything else to cover themselves with. They also told us that if we wished to see those three Christians, the Indians who had who had them would be coming in about two days to eat nuts or pecans. They identified pecans oh. on the riverbank a league from there. So we would know that they had spoken the truth about the bad treatment of our fellows. They commenced slapping and batting <laughs> Oviedo and did not spare me either. <laughs> Hold on, it gets it's better. Still, yeah. <laughs> they would keep throwing clods at us, too. And each of the days we waited there, they would stick their arrows to our hearts and say they had a mind to kill us the way they had finished our friends. I'm going to get my you next time. Watch out. Ugh. I'm going to get you. My, my friend compared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we got like, weapons and you don't Whoa. don't flinch don't flinch I'm not touching you <laughs> my frightened companion Oviedo the guy who can't swim said he wanted to go back with the women who had just forded the bay with us 
I urged my utmost against such a craven course, but in no way could keep him. He went back, and I remained alone with those savages. They are called Cuevenes, and those with whom had returned, Dewanes. This is the last that has ever been heard of that Oviedo guy, the strongest man who had sailed in Cabeza de Vaca's barge. He may have been the strongest, but he couldn't swim. Wow. That is... That's an incredible story. I don't know how anyone didn't read that last few paragraphs and be like, well, well, we should never, ever fucking go back there. Ever. Like... Ever. 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 Hence the name of the chapter, I suppose. So, this is only, like, halfway through, by the way. I mean, I'm trying to give you the greatest hits, but, like, after this, he gets reunited with some of the folks who had originally gotten separated during the shipwreck. They do find some of the other people. One of them is a black Moorish slave named Estevanico. Estevanico and Cabeza de Vaca will indeed actually wind up going from Galveston. They get all their shit together and they go, well, let's go down the coast. No, wait, why don't we just go back and go up the Rio Grande? Won't that take us back to Mexico? <laughs> so, so maps work the sun maps work. <laughs> so they're going great they're supposed to go to the rio grande okay and they can see all this shit mind you they like like cortez has landed in tenochtitlan by now they know that there's shit over here okay uh-huh. <laughs> but what they do is insist you see they're like oh look let's... so they, they this is what they were supposed to do they were supposed to go from the gulf from over here all the way to the Rio Grande, and then they were supposed to come back. That was their task. But let's go back to the river. And so this begins the exact second half of this book. His story, he is the first person, and so is this black slave named Estevanico. Him and Cabeza de Vaca are the first Spaniards to make it into the Pueblo interior of New Mexico, and he is the first person to write a New Mexico history book. Wow. And looking, it's a, quite a roundabout path, too. Like, it's crazy how far south they went. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. I imagine it must explain a lot of the reasons for, like, why they took their twists and turns and stuff like that. But that's fascinating. So I haven't even finished yet um, yeah, yeah. this book. I mean, so I'm no, I mean, I personally. So I'm oh. I myself am going to stop right there because yeah. like that's about as far as I could go with any real certainty of like, let me point out the way. But I do intend to finish this book over the weekend because he I, I'm in the part where they're only barely starting to come up the Rio Grande. I'm like right here. Okay. They're only starting to describe that, and I'm like, I haven't even gotten to the good shit this yet. This has been amazing so. so far. So yes, thank you for relaying <laughs> this. Thing. This is incredible. Oh, I am. I mean, I'm having a blast because, of course, like I said, I'm a nerd. So of course, no, I'm love this. delighting in all of this. Um, but learning so much about like all of it, and like like uh, I say all of it, like all of this continent that I don't fucking really know anything about. Again, they don't really teach us anything. Uh, yeah. I know how to double space. 
and 10 or 12 point times new roman that i know how to do yes yeah, so you start at the top you put you press tab once and you start typing i think and then you're good to go um man well that was incredible oh. i really enjoyed oh that. we didn't oh Oh. <laughs> okay so i know that we're doing eight thousand things mm -hmm. so let me see if i can get this going yeah, go ahead. it's going to be an experiment i'm going to try joining by my phone okay if now i want to take us to a different place cool i know we haven't gotten to hardly anything Nice. I got I got distracted by pirate adventures. No, I love it. That was incredible. And I just want to make sure we're still yes, everything's recording. Yeah, I mean, um we had uh I want to go ahead because actually in my mind I don't think I actually recorded the thing about I don't think I recorded. Yes. So listener at home, all, I don't know, let's say 17 to 25 of you. Um, there's more of you out there's there. There's actually right? more. Of, yeah, it's true. Um, please email the commissioner of baseball. Tell him he's uh, a dickhead, but say it in a nice way. And then add yourself to the number of people who will be doing that because it will be many. Um, I'm sure many other podcasts will ask their audiences to do the same. I talk about baseball yeah, a lot, so it's only and, responsible and, for me to say that. And and get things without their express written consent. Oh. I have to click admit. Sorry. There was a story that I was going to read that was called Young Americans Dying at Record Rates, but it's too depressing. They banned TikTok in Montana. I don't know how they did that. Well, they didn't. It technically doesn't take place until July or January 1st. Okay, I'm trying to get my audio on my phone to play this sound. Oh, well, let me click admit. Sorry. I have to click it again. Kathy is connecting the audio. There we go. Kathy is connected to audio. Yes. So now you can hear me on my phone. Yes, I can hear you on your phone. But I'm muted on my computer. Yes. Yep. That's what matters. Okay. I know that somewhere... There's a share screen. There it is. <coughs> I don't know if I did that right.
Don't worry, I'm going to write down the time code here. 20, thank you, thank you. 20, well, it's like 24 minutes now. So I'll just, any extra silence, I'll set it out. Okay. Yes. Okay. There's nothing untoward in here. Hey, the, Kathy, I'm just going to say right now, at some point in my in our lifetime of friendship, uh, you it, you may see something untoward in my photos. If I see something untoward in your photos, we'll just it balances out. It's okay. So I got some audio of the city. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Oh, are you getting audio on your end? Yes, is it not giving you any? I'm not getting the the oh. file audio. Let me see. Hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. Ah. There should be. Hmm. So just like when I can, no, I don't want to disconnect the audio. I want to share my audio. <laughs> now you can see my dumb head. <laughs> Rude. I don't know how to do it. Hmm. Well, see? um, well, otherwise I just connect the files, which is easy. Yeah. Like to my thing, but like if they're on your phone and they're in your Google Drive already, then they should already be on the internet, which means all you need to do is copy me a link, I think. Yeah, see, mm. I'm just trying to like think through like how what's the easiest way to like make that work because actually, if it's a video file, then it's just like I just click play and it just plays like in the We'll figure out together. I know the easiest way to do it is to just get the files on my computer and play them from there. Okay. Ugh. It just sucks having the novel coronavirus. Although I <laughs> apparently I don't have it anymore. Let's take one more to be sure. See if you can take another <laughs> yeah, day off your right. responsibilities. No, I did tell my I did tell my supervisor though, my my, my boss person. But I was like, okay, like, I know I probably, because we have, like, an actual, like, awesome, cool thing happening today. And I was like, I know oh. that I would really like to attend this awesome, cool thing, but maybe I, like, really shouldn't. Because the world's a dangerous place. And that's okay. I've got some slight FOMO, but I'm dealing with it. Yeah, I, uh, I kind of, I can, I can understand what you're saying for sure. There's been some things I planned that I wish you didn't go to, so... <laughs> okay, it's loading everything. Mm, I'm really 
really proud of us for getting through all of our animal stories. <laughs> I got through all four of them. Oh no, Project Pigeon. We actually didn't do that one. But that's oh fine. well, let's 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 look at Project Pigeon. Okay, cool. Because it's gonna be a second, I think, while these files pull up anyway. Let me look perfect. At perfect. Pigeon. Okay. Let me switch the thing here so we can read together. Because it's already up on it. There we go. Oh wait, I need to stop. I don't know how to do this right now. Hold on, I'll do it one more time. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Project pitch. Okay. So I was looking at a list of... Well, pigeons, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at a list. Someone posted an unrelated article online that was like about the history of drone programs. And then I was thinking of like, well, that's interesting. And it was about the mechanical... It was like the things that predate like the V1 kind of automated, like the plane controlled by like, I don't know, magnetism or whatever, some bullshit they set up. It's not computers, but it's like radio signals and stuff. Anyway, some other things that they got into in the world of things before they they tried some um, TV flight missiles and, and, and planes. It was too early back then, so they, they canned that for a while. But they did get into training birds specifically someone someone you may have heard of before got into training birds into um uh manipulating certain devices to control uh bombs so in previous uh, they had used the american government had actually used um they were inspired by the bat the displays of bats at roswell's caverns mm -hmm. And had figured out that they could um, basically use bats to as an incendiary device. Have you heard about this before? I have not heard about this one before, okay. but I am already fascinated. <laughs> okay, um, they were they never utilized it in the field, but the even the testing of it like basically destroyed the testing facility, so mm -hmm. they never used it again. the The bats went to the place where the fuel was stored to test. And even in the initial test, it, like, destroyed the entire fuel facility. So they never... I'm they sorry. Were, they give me one moment. I'm so sorry. Yeah. They were afraid of using the weapon. Mm, actually, I'll be right back, too. Everyone at home, listen to this piece of media I have prepared for this eventuality. on my neck you let me know i'm your number one select i like lipstick on my neck hands around my waist so you know what's coming next i want to feel your lips on mine i just want to feel a little tongue we don't have a long time oh you're talking nasty and i like whisper in my ear only me you can hear i seen it from the back and i'm excited Walk up in the room, yeah. 
been like many years since she's made music yeah sorry about that no, okay. i had to go away too no. i got some take some pills i hope they were fun pills uh biotin <laughs> no they were fun pills but these were okay. normal pills actually <laughs> they keep normal. Me normal you know <laughs> it's not, not <laughs> i have enough fun on my own <laughs> they, wait me. they make those the, ca the caffeine's for fun that's all I get. Uh, let's see. Uh, that's funny. Okay. <laughs> what were we saying? Uh, Project Pigeon. Right, Sorry. Project Pigeon. Okay. Let me go back here. Let's go back. Let's okay. go back. Okay, so Bat Caves. I was bats, there. I was there. We'll, we'll, get, we'll read about the bats. It's pretty pretty crazy um, at some point. The, they were Basically, they were thinking about coating bats and fuel and lighting them on fire. Um, but this isn't that. Uh, after that, they... Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll start here. Um, during World War II, Project Pigeon was American behaviorist B.F. Skinner's attempt to develop pigeon-controlled guided bomb. The testbed was the same National Bureau of Standards developed unpowered airframe that was later used for the U.S. Navy's radar-guided bat glide bomb, which is basically a small glider with wings and tail services, an, un, uh, an explosive warhead section in the center, and a guidance section in the nose cone. The intent was to train pigeons to act as pilots for the device okay so now obviously 
I'll just give you the short version of, of in here. They're not. Uh, they're giving little games and tricks. They're they're giving basic. They're turning them into cyborg brains for the missile by like training the pigeons to do normal tasks outside of the missile, and then converting the needs of the flying the device into those games and balancing those spinning those plates it's <laughs> it's like the matrix it's literally the matrix it's the matrix okay so i'm gonna continue but, uh <laughs> let me turn my headphones back up <laughs> okay here we go it's the matrix for pigeons the intent was to train the pigeons to act as pilots for the device using their cognitive abilities to recognize the target the guidance system consisted of three lenses mounted in the nose of the vehicle, which projected an image of the target on a screen mounted in a small compartment inside the nose cone. This screen was mounted on pivots and fitted with sensors that measured any angular movement. One to three pigeons trained by operant conditioning to recognize the target were stationed in front of the screen. When they saw the target, they would peck at the screen with their beaks. They were trained by being shown an image of the target, and each time the pigeons pecked the image, some seed would be dispensed. As long as the target remained in the center of the screen, the screen would not move. But if the bomb began to go off track, the image would move towards the edge of the screen. The pigeons would follow the image, pecking at it, and <laughs> which would move the screen on its pivots. The sensors would detect the movement and would send signals to the rocket control surfaces, which would steer the bomb in the direction the screen had moved. As the bomb swung back towards the target, the pigeons would again follow the image, bringing the screen back to the center position again. In that way, the pigeons would correct any deviations in the course and keep the bomb on its glide path. Early electronic guidance systems used similar methods only with electronic signals and processors replacing the birds in detecting the target and preventing deviation from glide path. And basically, this was the invention of autopilot. And cruise missiles. That's, ins that's <laughs> insane. Yeah. Yeah. So they basically just, they discovered that, like, I don't know, I imagine these are three axes or something is, like, the, mm -hmm. what's happening here, and that's just it. They were like, oh, okay. X, Y, Z, pigeon, go. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 Wild. So that's Project Pigeon. I mean, but, like, you can, like, train birds to do shit. Like, they can, like, they, they're also smart. Like, they're, you know, like, that's what B.F. Skinner taught us, is that pigeons, you can train them to do shit. Like, yeah. you can make them turn around stupid little circles if you want. Like, but I think, like, the problem is that, like, you know, that, that becomes just, like, concept for our, all of this other shit is that like everyone is susceptible to conditioning right Pavlov's dogs were not any different like tell me about a really good pizza you just had recently I like the direction you're taking this already I mean come on I'm, I'm already hungry for pizza and I haven't even gotten into detail of a pizza like damn yes damn right you got right I to mean, it I like it really I mean, but like I don't know, like like, it, but there is still actual free will for us. Like maybe not for the pigeon. Like I can trick a pigeon into doing something, turn around. But like, like I don't know. I feel like it's a lot of work to go through to like just 
build a bomb? Like, why not just bomb the place? Like, just like yeah, why go through the like pigeon you can just process? Fly really high above something, and drop something <laughs> drop straight it. down. And like, like, why do I need the pigeon? Much yeah, easier like, physics. <laughs> you know, like, what, why don't I deliver some other? Like, well, why do any of that? Why, uh, why not just let the pigeon be? Right? Like, I feel like there's a lot of like under unasked questions. Do you like, want to read something accepting. about the early life of BF Skinner to see if we can oh determine why he wanted to use pigeons to? <laughs> drive a bomb i mean <laughs> i i mean i feel like why did he use pigeons in the first place like i feel like uh, you know again he, he he did all of this like oh here's how you condition like birds to turn around in little circles and therefore if you give everyone like like little food pellets they'll do whatever you want and it's like well it, like if the choice is food pellet or nothing like yeah there's probably a lot i'm willing to do for food pellet but like if the choice is like food pellet or like kick rocks i'm gonna go get a burger like then fucking kick rocks i'm gonna go get a burger like fuck your pellet like why okay. am i even participating in this whole thing so they cleared the table with prohibition and they reset the table by giving us treats back the treats were alcohol and then <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh okay let's see okay so yeah, yeah let's see. so this guy <laughs> is born in Susquehanna, Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. There we go. Uh, <laughs> okay, so so yeah, this guy. Uh, the latter of whom was a lawyer. His dad was a lawyer. Skinner became an atheist after uh -huh. a Christian teacher tried to assuage his fear of the hell that his grandmother described. His brother, Edward two and a half years younger, died at age 16 of a cerebral hemorrhage. Man, this guy is losing all kinds of people to hell. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to know why. First his grandmother's to hell. He wants to know why humans are convinced that hell is real yeah. in a very scientific way. Skinner's closest friend as a boy was Raphael Miller, whom he called Doc because his father was the doctor. Doc and Skinner became friends due to their parents' religiousness and both had an interest in contraptions and gadgets. Yeah, no shit. So, like, Skinner's gonna be like, okay, so how do I torture all these pigeons? I just wanna say also one more time describing a D&D &D character. This I feel like... <laughs> I feel like in another era, like maybe like when we actually had psychology, we'd be like, "Why is this kid torturing all these yeah, pigeons? Yeah. Like, is he is he like Jeffrey Dahmer? We let it happen, and then he became like, and he's like the father of modern psychiatry <laughs> and shit, and like marketing and all this other stuff. <laughs> the Jeffrey Dahmer was just curious crowd. Yeah, they just didn't Four give him the right job. Four out of five psychologists agree. Yeah, he just needed a Montessori. <laughs> he just need... <laughs> oh, it makes my stomach turn. But at the same time, it's that's where Elon's gonna send his kid. It's gonna be like Jeffrey Dahmer Montessori school. <laughs> like... Turn the monsters into tomorrow's future. Ban me again, kings. bitch! Do it. Oh. Okay. No, it's true. He he wants to. Okay. He's making Deus Ex real. That's all it is. It's yeah. His entire life. <laughs> okay, so Skinner and Doc are really into contraptions and gadgets, and this is <laughs> where it turns into burn after reading. <laughs> they set up a telegraph line between their houses to send messages to each other 
although they had to call each other on the telephone due to the confusing messages sent back and forth. <laughs> This is an incredible yeah, like microbiography. Like, yeah, I love like we're terrible at using the telegraph. How about we just pick up the phone? Like, well, why'd you why'd you install the telegraph? It's a lot of effort. You're doing two hey, different lines. Hey, I have a question. Have you ever considered using a pigeon to communicate? <laughs> Not yet. Uh, no, no he, he had think, actually. Think, he had. He had already come to. He's, he's already like oh, one day. These like, motherfucking bombs. No, that's not what pigeons are for. That's their like. Oh, you mean their most natural no. and intended of usage? <laughs> what if instead I created a contraption? Oh wait, you no. Know, it actually gets pretty interesting here. Okay. Okay. So. <laughs> During one summer, Doc and Skinner started an elderberry business. <laughs> These guys aren't friends, right? This is like they, they were roommates when they were 50. Right? They're uh, mixologists. <laughs> they, yeah, they, yeah, they're like into craft cocktails, so they're making elderberry. Uh, what are they called? Liquor. Smashes? Not yeah. smashes. Uh, 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 shrubs. Shrubs. Thank you. Shrubs. <laughs> Oh my god. I like the way Shrub thinks. <laughs> That's their Okay, so yeah. they started an elderberry business. This is the wildest thing. There was a time, Brian, when <laughs> you and I as friends could be like, you know what, chum? How about you and I go into the elder business? And everyone's the like, hell yeah, the bank's like throwing sacks of cash at you. You're like, oh, oh my god, god. we're four hundred million dollars in elderberry futures. <laughs> well, not only did they start in elderberries to gather berries, but they also that's right, would go and sell them door to door. They would get shot to death now. If, like, two dudes came, like, to, like, some weird Trump guy's house and were like, pardon me, mister, can we interest you in some hand-picked elderberries? We've also just invented St. Germain, <laughs> if you're interested. Hmm, elderberry liqueur for anyone? Hmm. <sighs> no, they weren't down with that yet. <laughs> it goes along with a crisp, cool cucumber liqueur. So new problem though. Mm. That the so these these two friends as they're in this enterprising elderberry business. Yeah. Uh oh, <laughs> a challenge. They found that when they picked the ripe berries, the unripe ones came off the branches oh. too. Fascinating. So oh. they built a device that was able to separate them. Oh. The device was a bent piece of metal to form a trough. That's they would pour okay. water down the trough into a bucket. The ripe berries would sink, and the unripe ones would be pushed over to the edge or thrown away. And that's wow! Why didn't they just wait for them to? I, maybe they only ripen on the tree. Yeah, that's like how they do like modern berry in a lot of different fruit sorting and stuff. Is kind of that little like it's floating or whatever. Oh, wow. Skinner attended, attended Hamilton College in New York with the intention of becoming a writer. But he found himself at a social disadvantage at the college because of his 
intellectual attitude. So I'm going to go ahead and guess that Skinner was one of those assholes that, like, was just, like, always playing devil's advocate in class. Oh. I'm going to guess he, like, because, like, I don't know. Like, I don't think, uh, like, as someone who went to college, it's pretty hard to be ostracized for being an intellectual at college. Yeah, like, that's, like, that's the, the point. <laughs> of being in college is you're some fucking jerk off intellectual. So I mean you and I have been jerk off intellectuals it's all true. all afternoon. And I have and yet, been to college. It's true. <laughs> and no one, at least here, has said that I am at a social disadvantage because of my intellectual attitude. And you know why? That's because I'm not a fucking dickhead. So thus the only conclusion is that BF Skinner was a fucking dickhead. It's true. It's so true. But, oh, he was a member of the so Lambda Chi Alpha Fraternity. Yeah. He wrote for the school paper, but as an atheist. Okay, so that is the second time that has come up. So then that also tells me that he was the kind of dipshit that mm. was walking around constantly talking about how he's an atheist. Uh -huh. Well, I'm an atheist. I'm, so he's probably like but... doing like gotcha Oh, mm -hmm. well, what do you really think about Pascal's wager? And this is you like know? when it would be like so new enough or it'd be like easy to be like doing the thing where you like bloop in someone's nose, basically oh, the, the religious version of doing this yeah. thing. Like, oh, yeah, got your nose. Like, got your <laughs> I don't know what the religious philosophical version of like got your nose is, but they were easy enough to get that way, I guess, at the time. If you're an atheist. I mean, wh I mean, what are the other options? What does your God say? Hmm? I don't have one. He says nothing. I don't know. Oh, fuck. Once again, a very important person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's see. So he creates a prototype for the Skinner box, which is, I think, where he actually trains pigeons to do weird shit. Uh... Oh, yeah, no. So here's here's everything we need to know about B.F. Skinner. After graduation, Skinner unsuccessfully tried to write a novel. Oh, no. While he lived with his parents. Oh. A period that he later called the dark years. Oh, you don't want to unsuccessfully become a creative in uh, <laughs> this period of time. Um, he became disillusioned with his literary skills, despite encouragement from the renowned poet Robert Frost, concluding that he had little world experience and no strong personal perspective from which to write. His encounter with John B. Watson's behaviorism led him to graduate study in psychology and to the development of his own version of behaviorism so just like hitler <laughs> yeah oh i don't understand man hmm hmm perhaps i'll torture the shit out of some animals to teach you i'm right jesus christ this is it's amazing what was going on this moment in history <laughs> Oh, yeah, let's see. So <laughs> he receives his Ph.D. from Harvard in 1931. So we know that he's going through at least the tail end or like kind of the ends of World War One. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
when was that and then or i guess then also witnessing now as an adult the beginnings of world war ii yeah psychology department so he was living during the end of after world war ii is at iu mm-hmm. all right harvard harvard for the rest of his life i mean here's the thing though if everything's behaviorism then why was he such a shitty poet shouldn't by that concept you should just have to work at it you'll be a good poet yeah, I mean, if he doesn't think that... Exactly. Just did he not give himself enough poetry treats? What the fuck, dude? Like, <laughs> like, how can you not be a poet at a time when, like, everybody is being printed as a poet? Like, it's not like he's trying to do it now. Like, like now, like, I get it. It's hard. Like, everyone's self-publishing on Etsy and shit. But you can do it. Like, back then, you could be, like, actually, like, lauded in the Paris Review for like oh here's like a fucking shit post about cat how it looks like fog or whatever like whatever but i made Carl an acrostic Sandberg, about... get the fuck out of here america's most greatest poet give me a fucking break <laughs> i'm the poet laureate of poems about coca-cola zero that's yo oh i know two roads diverged in a yellow wood i took the path that led to fucking around with pigeons <laughs> I, and that I, has made all the difference and really that's all the people know about me ultimately um well see. now we know that he wrote a really shitty novel while he was living with his parents yeah at a time like, when so another, another person sense. had a very interesting artistic output that uh made him let's see let's see See, this is what I mean. Like, just scratching the surface, even just a tiny little bit, right? Like, so B.F. Skinner is presented to me in my childhood psychology courses when I'm that I'm taking, when I'm like a, studying to become a teacher, and he's like exalted as like some big fucking like genius of yeah. like psychology and understanding. And then like you dig even just a little bit, yeah. and it's like, really, this is the guy? I don't know, guys. Are you sure? Yeah. Like, how do we take this guy seriously in the way that we do without un- like an unquestioning? Or he's like, like, what would his parents have said about him living at home? And his behaviorism being like, do you need a fucking pellet, dude? Like, turn your ass around. Go outside and get a job. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Here, let me hook up the new, like, giant hamster water bottle to your, like, living zone. <laughs> oh, this is all... Oh, okay, so he's the person who invented, uh, like you were saying before, like, continuous reinforcement, like, <laughs> yeah. Interval schedule, fixed interval schedule, okay the pellets oh interesting um, participants behaving token economies uh, right like uh, the, the the amazing study about the Shrek rock or the Spongebob rocks you know about that Mm-mm. there was a study about 10-15 years ago that was about how uh, it was about brand identification and how some kids it was about kind of just I don't even know exactly what the point of it was, but the way that I read it was that if a child would be more attracted to a stone, like a like a garden rock with like a, okay. a sticker of SpongeBob or like a, a branded character on it, then like a marshmallow yeah. or a food snack, like that's what it was to see, and they'll always almost always pick the rock with the sticker on. It. 
And yeah, like, like, so, like, that also happens, like, like when we're talking about the gamification of anything, right? Where, like, you get a little treat for getting all your steps in, right? That's, like, the token economy, where it's, like, this idea that, like, oh, I'm getting a little treat for doing this thing I should be fucking doing anyway, right? Like, going for a walk, maybe. And why do I gamify going for a walk? Like, yeah. why don't I just go outside and enjoy the fact that it's like the sun is shining or like the birds are singing or maybe like today it happens to be cloudy and rainy here but that's like beautiful it was like really nice walking the dog in that weather you know like hmm. by itself it's a reward you know but instead i have to be like no but i did a hundred steps so i get this little badge that says i get a treat today yeah i don't know it's too much i don't it's too like um I, I think more than that because it's like then then the the like kind of like fundamental thing underneath it is that it is possible to control. You just have to find the right treat mechanism to guarantee that control. Yes, and I think that by itself is kind of really terrifying. Well, that's like actually, it's the idea that manipulation is okay. That's this. That's the kind of uh, like um, I don't know what the word is like. So the technocratic, that, that is the answer that the world has presented in the technocratic solution to every problem is there's an app mm -hmm. to fix this gap in you know, humanity's ability to fix this problem. And it, in other words, well, you understand, of course, but like a capitalistic answer rather than just fixing the problem societally. Okay, know. so remember, this concept is coming from a guy mm -hmm. who lived with his parents while he wrote a failed novel that he described as the dark times yeah like fuck like, and he has such great regard miles, he's 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 gladwell he's yeah. uh um the other guy uh, peterson oh. uh, Pe no 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 uh jordan peterson used to have yeah. some kind of clout too like was mm. was considered on some level like i guess not a crackpot okay uh, who's the, the other guy uh there was another guy the steven pinker guy was considered mm. not a crackpot okay. right the gerald diamond guy was considered not a crackpot and then they started doing and saying more crackpot shit right they start with oh supply demand again i think all of that's a crock of shit but that's at least like the intro crock of shit and then it's like, oh, men have to work because that's women are toiling and that's not fair. That's proof that they're a barbarous nation. You know, like it just becomes yeah, all that bullshit. It does. And it's all the same stuff. And it's like, mind your business. Like we don't we don't understand. Right. Like it's like what, what you asked about, like the Spanish saying that, like, oh, their women toil incessantly. Yeah. Well, like. But at what? And like maybe that's necessary. Maybe like yeah. the whole village will collapse if it doesn't, right? Like, and and, and like toil for what? Yeah, it's like, not like if, there if they're a just like covering up what they're doing. If they're just kind of grinding corn all day, like that that sucks. But like, I mean, as opposed to what? Not grinding corn. Yeah, it provides value to like their like that that yeah that like life. that that leads to death. I need that, right? It's not just like I don't know, but I. Mm. Mm. it's because they came from a society in which they figured that like corn comes out of the corn box or you know when i didn't even have corn you know i don't know well and also beans. all of this other shit that like women are dainty yeah 
Yeah, or, right? or, like, or, or, you know, they're being made to toil even is like a thing that is an assumption, I suppose. It's not yeah, like what if they're choosing questions. to toil? Yeah, what, what, if, what if they're like the ones in charge and actually are like, yeah, we are the women of toil because actually our men are fucking pussy pieces of shit. Yeah, you know, they were most certainly not asking questions. I know that, so. The, no, they certainly weren't. They were, they the were too busy, I guess, not learning how to... <laughs> Swim. swim. <laughs> that wasn't in the basic training before they threw oh, him on God. a ship. Ryan, I cannot tell you how how shocked I was when I read that sentence in that book, where he's like, "Yeah, that guy that's been shipwrecked on that island for like three years," and I'm like, "Oh well, no wonder he wants to leave, like, or he doesn't want to leave because he's really like, I can't swim." And it's like, really, <laughs> this man, yeah, this man literally had like would have. And he, like in his imagination, is he thinking like, okay, I have to like fashion a raft to get out of here or something like that out of an island yeah, that we, right. like, people are leaving and coming to all the time, probably. <laughs> so now, according to him too, like apparently they just take these random beatings, and this guy would still rather endure these random beatings and try to swim off the island, or like hold on to a log as it drifts to the other shoreline or something, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, man, they God. weren't sending their best or their brightest, man. And, and anyway, that I feel is also the other recollection. Like, who is this guy? Who's this BF Skinner guy? Yeah. Why are we listening to him? Exactly. Like, 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 okay, pigeon, pigeon, pigeon project. Yeah. I'm gonna get <laughs> the same man who told us all the things that <laughs> supposedly that we know about marketing and all this stuff or you know has given us insight you know or gave us the evil dark magic into all this stuff was a fucking psychopath <laughs> like, and, no and you know you know what else he couldn't sell us his fucking writing so how about that that's true like, <laughs> he's not even rick paulus who is collecting like all of those stories from the palmer hotel la's most haunted hotel that everyone knows about you know Tell me more. Because uh, oh, it's on the Twitter. He's just some guy who wrote some fucking book novel thing. I oh. don't know. Oh. But he's always like, I think he just got suspended or booted <laughs> off of Twitter because he was impersonating Diane Feinstein. But his whole <laughs> shtick is that he goes what? under like okay. really controversial tweets. Okay. He's just a guy. He has okay. a book, and that's oh. it, right? He's just a guy who wrote a book, and he's he himself is not a crackpot. Oh. He's just a shit poster. Okay. He's just going around and saying hey hey marjorie taylor green you just said something awful in your tweet but you know what sane people would do they would pay 12.99 plus four dollar shipping to get this year's best collection of spooky stories like it, it's just like a fiction book i think it's not like He's just like, hey, I wrote some scary novels. It's like a tour fiction, as far as I know. You know, like. Okay. <coughs> note, note made for podcast Like it's not promotion. like Stephen King or anything. Yeah, no, exactly. Like I'm I gonna use that I blue like check for a purpose. I think Kara is gonna. I feel like that's the kind of guy we would have on our podcast. Okay. Like, hey, yeah. I know you just want to do your promotion, but we want to talk about what it's like skirting these lines between fact and fiction. And how hasn't your account been permanently banned yet? Or maybe it has been. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Tell us and about now that. we will never know. I'll never know how to get a hold of it. That's it. That's the end. Wow. This is, um, 
we've learned a lot about BF Skinner today that I think completely undermines like when I was reading that book about machine gambling the, his name was in there like 50 times by the time I got to page 100 like mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. <laughs> this is extra funny to me to like see him basically completely undermined like this anyone who's putting pigeons in a missile um, post the invention of computers which is what he was doing Mm-hmm. Weird. And also to consider that they were replaced before there was even a production model of it. Very Can weird. you go down to the section on the left that says superstition in the pigeon experiment? Um, on the blue on the left-hand side? Oh, yeah. Also, I'm a, there's a here. He invented mm-hmm. the, uh, the air crib as well, which seems terrifying for a man who... Did everything else, but superstition. Oh no! Wait, wait, hold on, oh. hold on, let, let, hold on. I need to know what the air crib is. So I need to. The air crib is an easily clean, temperature and humidity controlled box bed intended to replace the standard. Replace infant the standard infant crib. So, issued at birth. You know that loving bed full of blankets and toys and soft, cuddly things. Well, scratch that. Throw in the trash. After raising one baby. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> this dude. Okay, so after raising one baby, Skinner felt that he could simplify the process for parents. Okay, this dude is Grover House. He's the guy who. <gasps> Don't read the last that... paragraph. Don't read the last paragraph until you read the, the ones above it because I just okay, spoiled. Okay, I won't. I won't. I won't. Same, like... this, is as good. this is as good as finding out the guy couldn't swim, I promise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He primarily thought of the idea to help his wife cope with the day-to-day tasks of child. Skinner had some specific concerns about raising a baby in the rough environment where he lived in Minnesota. Keeping the child warm was a central priority. Oh, look, there's a citation right there. Keeping the child warm was a central priority, according to Faye 2010. Like, no shit. Okay, so it's cold in Minnesota and you have to keep the baby warm and that there's a citation for that. So there was a citation needed there. <laughs> Though this was the main goal, it was also designed to reduce laundry, diaper rash, cradle cap, while still allowing the baby to be more mobile and comfortable and less prone to cry. Reportedly, it had some success in these goals. And was <laughs> Well, have I got the box for you? Uh-huh. Comfortable. Six foot one. Reportedly, it had some success in these goals and was used with an estimate of 300 children who were raised in the air crib. The notorious crib was advertised. The notorious <laughs> crib. The notorious C R I B, as it was also known advertised on television. Oh, oh my God. It was like advertised that. commercially. Like how many, yes. No. In Psychology no. Today. And tracked down 50 children and ran a short piece on the effects of their crib. No. The reports came back positive that these children and parents enjoyed using the crib. I don't don't like that that credit. (laughs) One of these air cribs resides in the gallery at the Center for the History of Psychology in Akron, Ohio. The air crib was designed with three 
solid walls <laughs> and a safety glass panel mm. at the front, which could be lowered to move the baby in and out of the crib. The floor was stretched canvas. Sheets were intended to be used over the canvas and were easily rolled off when soiled. Mm. Addressing Skinner's concern for temperature, a control box on the top of the crib regulated temperature and humidity. So he put his kid in a in a kennel. Oh yeah, he he did all of this. <laughs> Addressing <laughs> Skinner's concern, yeah, okay. Filtered air flowed through the crib from below. This crib was higher than most standard cribs, allowing easier access to the child without the need to bend over. The air crib was a controversial invention. Your it eyes already popular. saw it. Your periphery already saw it. Keep going, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> it was popularly characterized as a cruel pen, and it was often compared to Skinner's operant conditioner, conditioning chamber or Skinner box for the, for the fucking pigeons. An article titled Baby in a Box caught the eye of many and contributed to skepticism about the device. A picture published with the article showed the Skinner's daughter, Deborah, peering out of the crib with her face, hands and face pressed upon the glass. Skinner also used the term experiment when describing the crib, and this association with laboratory animal experimentation discouraged the crib's commercial success, although several companies attempted to reproduce and sell it. In 2004, therapist Lauren Slater repeated a claim that Skinner may have used his baby daughter in some of his experiments. Mm, his outraged daughter publicly accused Slater of not making a good faith effort to check her facts before publishing. Wait, but they have a photo the of her inside the box exactly. that he called it an experiment, uh, right? Okay. Yeah. Deborah was quoted by the Guardian saying, according to opening Skinner's box great psychological experiments of the 20th century my father who was a psychologist based at harvard from the 50s to the 90s used me to prove his theories by putting me in a few hours in a laboratory box in which all her needs were controlled and shaped but that's not true my father did nothing of the sort hmm um this man did a lot of things that makes me think that he might have and but um, I also am going to kind of go ahead and guess he probably did all kinds of other shit to his kids. And I don't mean like that in like some oh, weird pervert way, but I mean like all kinds of other experiments regarding below. behavior. I'm going to skim this one real quick. The teaching the, machine. Yeah. The teaching machine was a mechanical device whose purpose was to administer a curriculum of programmed learning. The machine embodies key elements of Skinner's theory of learning. Oh, that's probably a delicious theory. And had important implications for education in general and classroom instruction in particular. In one incarnation, the machine was a box that housed a list of questions that would be viewed one at a time through a small window. There was also a mechanism through which the learner could respond to each question. Upon delivering the correct answer, the learner would be rewarded. It is shocking. Wow. Uh, Skinner advocated the use of teaching machines for a broad range of students, preschool age to adult, and instructional purposes, reading and music. For example, one machine that he envisioned could teach rhythm. Um, and he goes on to explain that. This is like... So he basically wanted to put people in a box and strap a teaching machine on so like they could like learn in little 
cells and we just don't even like raise children we just it's like a little food pellet this dude invented the matrix he invented the box to put the people in and the little like and a bunch of people accept this as like sound psychological foundation this is terrifying to an entire that's exactly right i mean again you just have to i feel like scratch anything like like i don't like i do believe that we should you know strive to be better people whatever that means that Mm. we should strive to learn right but like i don't get like a pleasure pellet every time that i read another page in my book right Mm. even though that is what they tried to teach us like read some books you get a personalized pan pizza yeah 100 percent. literally that literally read some books you get a sticker on your fucking wall right but it's like but but that's not why I do those things, right? It's also not why I eat. I don't eat because I get a pellet. I, I eat because food is delicious. I uh, learn because learning is worthwhile, and, right? And, or I don't yeah. because I don't give a shit. And that stuff existed. I mean, when I was growing up in my in my you know room, I had that kind of stuff. That's how I was like raised. Even outside the classroom, I had like a sticker board and all that shit. So I'm sure like you know my parents or a lot of people's parents probably read some book that like instructed them on how to do that. But like well it's true like all of those what to expect when you're expecting and like the the spock guy who's teaching everybody how to be a parent like it's why so many i think in our parents generation like are fucked up because they believed a lot of that right like they believe that at some point some childhood like psychologist was like children should be seen and not heard except what we know now is that like people who are saying shit like that are psychopaths right yeah like it like it has no like because again he's so like even look at the purpose of what he's saying right like go back up to the his 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 stupid little box for children his little crib right so he says he primarily thought of the idea to help his wife cope with the day-to-day tasks of child rearing so I i gotta be honest with you brian i am i am honestly personally terrified of having a child yes but it's because of the physicality of it mm. like i know that in my family uh, not all women have had easy births they have led to cesarean sections complications of birth um my mother even almost died in childbirth for one of her pregnancies right um so like it's not like a light decision and like in knowing the like reality of it right but like but that's like my personal fear of like mortality right if 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 i could if i knew i could have a child more or less easily i I think i probably would um i honestly do feel kind of if i'm truly ultimately honest with myself that's probably been the major contributor of not wanting a child because i feel like i've always i i mean i have had some doubts of my ability to be a good parent Mm. But ultimately, I don't really think that. And that's because I feel like I've done what Skinner would have not wanted me to do. And that's actually learned something. Right. Like if I had learned the way my parents and Skinner insisted, then their positive and negative reinforcements would have worked. But they Mm. didn't. And they didn't because like I knew that somewhere under what they were asking me to accept was nonsensical. The air crib is nonsensical. So I will not accept it, whether there's a pellet in it or not, right? Like, so he says, after raising one baby, he felt, so he's had one. He is in the this long history 
of parenting and, and genealogy and giving birth to a child after one, this motherfucker thinks that he could simplify the process for parents and improve, somehow improve the experience for children. He primarily thought of the idea to help his wife cope with the day-to-day -day tasks of child rearing. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but those day-to-day -day tasks of child rearing are supposed to be the very joyful purpose of having a child in the first place. And they generally... The very purpose of holding the child and having it yell because it's got a shit in its pants is supposed to be amazing, actually. Not a chore. And so, like, the very way of describing this child no wonder she's like no that didn't happen to me like girl have you seen a fucking therapist i feel like we just accidentally discovered a psychological breakthrough <laughs> I, I, this is fucking wild like everything in our society is hinged upon basically a few studies that this guy like kind of like half-assed like no shit like it's crazy because he thinks it's a job it's something that's not supposed to be a job raising a child raising a child is not a job like like it's a yeah it's a choice that two individuals i guess make it's miraculous yeah. it's miraculous the very concept of sex in and of itself is Repro and human reproduction and the concept of DNA is fucking miraculous. You're creating a hybrid of two different people. It's crazy. It's like... A little bit of one, a little yeah. bit of the other. It comes together and bam, something new. And yeah. that like, that, that ways that those two could have combined are like infinite. Yeah. There was like an infinite way that those two strands of DNA could have combined. And somehow they combined to make me... They somehow combined to make you, right? Yeah. Like, and that has, of course, still nothing to do with, like, the, you know, cultural, socio-emotional aspect of our creation. That is simply just the nuts and bolts of A and B coming together. That's it. That's just the science of it. Um, you get all that other shit involved, right? Like, did, did this dude love his fucking wife? Did he love his fucking kids? Like... I don't I don't believe that every single relationship is supposed to be transactional. And yet this is how this comes off with this guy, too. Baby in a box. Is this like an Ikea fucking flat pack? That's not what this is. Right. And yet I feel like that's how he's marketing. Yeah. If you do all these things, you will get a well-behaved baby. It literally sounds like it was advertised in like a Sears Roebuck catalog. Like, it probably was. I mean, we like have to look a little of, more into yeah. this. Yeah. The reason IKEA is successful is because what they're selling me is the ease of construction of the crib. The baby, uh, I'll fucking all bets are off, man. That's a whole different story. I can create a crib. I can do that. I, I don't even think I need a crib. I don't think we need a crib. I think you can just, like, have a blanket, put it on the floor, and as long as you're watching, it's not eating anything. So, like, it's fine. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. like. I mean, it's basically. Like, or at least not yet. It's not supposed to eat shit yet. It's supposed to, like, <laughs> slurp on things. Here, slurp this. And slurp, slurp this juice. It's, the, it's got the nutrients. It's fine. It's okay, got some slurping. It's, slurp it's, away, you little it's, nugget of a person. Like. These are sterile nutrients. You need them. Get them in you. Yeah, like, these are the good ones. <laughs> There's this other shit you can't eat. Yeah, it's like a dog, right? Yes, like, it is. I mean, yeah. Like, no, you can have this. That'll kill you. 
that'll just give you the runs. Like, it won't kill you, but you're going to be really upset, even though you really, really want it. It's going to be the same color as whatever it was when it went in. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to come up one way or another way. <laughs> but no, but the, like, I mean, no shit. Those are actually supposed to be the joyful parts of raising a child. Like, like I know that it's like hard work, but it's like hard work because like I think we make it hard work on people. Oh. Oh no. Oh, oh no, what was that? There was one more thing that he invented here. The verbal summator. Early in his career, Skinner became interested in an uh quote, latent speech. And there's no link or anything, but that's what he called it, I guess. And experimented with the device he called the verbal summator. The device can be thought of as an auditory version of the Rorschach ink blast. This dude is literally inventing a machine for you to hallucinate auditory shit. Like you listen to hear things in static. When using the device, human participants listen to incomprehensible auditory garbage, but often read meaning into what they heard. Thus, as with Rorschach blots, the device was intended to yield overt behavior that projected some conscious thoughts. Skinner's interest in projective testing was brief, but he later used observations in the summator in creating his theory of verbal behavior, which unfounded bullshit research. I, once again, the device also read, led other researchers to invent new tests, such as the Totophone test, the auditory apperception test. You can only guess what that is. And the Azagati test, which <laughs> like with mega um, questions here. Yeah. When defined as? I've never even seen that flag before. Um. Wow. Well, I got to know okay. more about that thing. Okay. So here's what what little I know, right? Uh -huh. Right. So when I was teaching math, mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to put into my presentations or worksheets, whatever it was that I was doing with my students, was just a variety of optical illusions. Mm. Right. Like, I mean, and you can just go online and find like 101 optical illusions. Right. Like um, there there's moving GIF images and things that are that like upside down pretty lady and then upside down old lady. You're the duck and the fucking rabbit rabbit, rabbit or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there's all kinds of shit like that. Right. And so uh, depending on what I was talking about with my students. So, for example, the duck and the rabbit one, I usually would put when I was talking about like angle rotation. Right. Like the whole joke about that thing is just if you turn it then it looks like what it is right right that's so just it's just an angle though but like the itself right so easy it. way to like kind of get these i'll say kind of complicated spatial concepts kind of made clear kind of right away to a kid um yeah that's so i cool. really liked optical illusions for that reason because they were also kind of fun right they also felt like puzzles they felt like uh, a schooner is a sailboat, right? It looked like you were in fucking like finding like sometimes I would use the magic eye things. That was fun too, like because oh kids God, love that yes. shit, honestly, I right? Know. So, um, anyway, so like so we do all that shit, but like the idea that there could be auditory, like it's the same concept. Every time that we hear something or see something, we're trying to make sense of it. We're trying to create a pattern in it. It's why we see the way we see, right? It's why we perceive in three dimensions. It's why we can see color and other animals can't. Um, maybe it's also why other animals see in like infrared or like ultraviolet. Um, oh, and careful, because there's some kind of like microphone bumping. Oh, oh, I don't... that must only be for you. Um, 
It's my pad on top of the laptop. Oh. But yes, I'm sorry. Let me move. No, this. no, no, no worries. No worries. Okay. Um, but like, but, but that like, uh, uh, pattern making is essentially what also dictates our survival, right? Like it, it's us being able to spot a, a tiger versus a deer in the woods. And then that's why we can hunt one and then run away from the other one or whatever, or like say boo really loud. So we get scared, right? Like, um, it's why we recognize faces and things and we want to see faces everywhere. It's because yeah. we're, we want to identify another individual right away. Right? Not, not just for like threat reasons, probably, but there's something probably really innate psychologically of like, I'm encountering another person. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Hey, like, Oh, I didn't see you there. Right. It's probably like what very instinctually when someone's like kind of in, coming up on your periphery, you're like, Whoa. Oh, Hey, hi. Person. Yeah. I've definitely you know? had like, like panic responses related to that kind of stuff before for sure. So I can um, and I think that's also why we're always looking for that shit, right? The, mm. It's there's whole fucking jokes on the internet about like things and faces, right? <laughs> like yeah. faces and things, right? Like I'm sure there's a. Right I I, I think that's absolutely true. That like sound would be the same thing, right? Because you hear what you want to hear on some level, um, yeah. and you create some kind of reality for it. The thing is, is that usually that happens when it is gibberish, right? Like when I am really hearing like a busted speaker and it's like, and it's like the empanada truck, right? And so like, then you have to use your context clues and go, well, I'm hearing all that noise from the empanada truck. So surely the empanada truck is coming down the street, right? Oh, yeah. But like, but if, if it looked like an ice cream truck, then I would just think, it's the ice cream truck. Like, I don't actually have to hear whatever the fuck is coming out of the empanada truck because I have all of these other context clues in that yeah. event, right? In that yes. event. That's not necessarily true here. But that also happens with optical illusions, right? I use my context clues and I go, oh, I'm actually in a funhouse mirror right now. I know I'm being tricked. So then you can kind of, like, step out of that, right? But that's what essentially what Skinner is saying here like well what if I didn't do that for you what if I like manipulated sound in such a way that you heard what I thought like you're gonna hear what I think you're what I'm gonna make you hear and you're gonna be like did I really hear that is that the empanada truck whoa yeah right so because it's an it's it's incomprehensible auditory garbage right so it's just it's want 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 like in a fucking peanuts but yeah. he knows that if he says womp, 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 womp a certain way and doesn't say womp, 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 you're going to hear, I want Coca-Cola. Yeah. Oh, I want to And you're see... like, is that, is that what they said? Did they say I want a Coke? I'm going to write this down. Verbal summator. Yeah, we can look that up. Interesting. But I mean, this is this is like our lying eyes, right? I mean, you and I have made jokes about like, well, what's going to happen soon? Are there going to be just like random holograms of celebrities and people like showing up like on street corners? Are we not going to have street performers anymore? Because we're just going to have a hologram of a robot pretending or of a, a hologram of a guy pretending to be the robot that doesn't move as you approach him. 
in front of Times Square, you know, like that guy. Yeah. Like, are we going to have any need for that? Like, of course we will, right? But yeah. in, in this other world that we're imagining, no, we don't, right? Because now I'm going to be unable to distinguish between the real person oh. doing that and a hologram of a person doing that. And what's the fucking difference? What's the fucking difference then? Isn't that the auditory garbage, this incomprehensible auditory garbage that's being sent at me? Because now it's not just Skinner doing it. It's literally everybody. So, like, now his garbage is incomprehensible from any other garbage, right? What difference does it make if he actually gets me to think it says buy Coca-Cola if I'm actually hearing buy Coca-Cola all the time? What's the point? And, like, now everyone is telling us to, like, kill, maim, destroy, go impress Jodie Foster, right? So mm-hmm. what fucking difference does it make? It's like, so like it would be fucking, it would be fucking revolutionary if he got his verbal summator to, like, convince somebody to be a good dad. What, what's that, Skinner? Why don't you fucking listen to that fucking audio tape while you sleep at night, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and stop designing boxes for your children to live in. <laughs> right? Like, why don't you just be a good dad? Like, or why like, put your kids in All this time, yeah, all this like, time all you spent doing work, all... Yeah, all that work to make it easier to be a parent when you could have just picked up your kid and gone to the park. Like, what's... It's... Well, yeah. what, like where and this guy's a genius yeah this you know guy is not a genius i think anyone that gives such an incredible amount of dedication to their work and is not like a normal person with a normal life like we need to question oh like all those people like if oh they spent God, 42 I'm... hours a day like researching this thing and then like they're supposedly this genius of the clearly they're also Dude, like I, nuts yeah. <laughs> i've just had a breakthrough wow this, yeah. you're right that this is better than therapy yeah wow. isn't it what we just learned here. What we just learned. <sighs> wow. Wow. Like Yeah, so the lesson is is that if you're gonna sail across the ocean, maybe you should learn to fucking swim. How about that? Yeah. That's the you lesson. Know, start there. I agree. That's probably that's probably as good as it can get. Let's see. Um is there anything else? I on took my list? diving lessons. What's oh, up? Oh really? <laughs> Uh, you did as a kid oh so did i not like as an adult but like as a kid but like i still remember how (laughs) well if you come down to florida one day we can go down to the keys okay so here's what we're gonna do we're gonna Mm -hmm. go up tampa bay Mm -hmm. and then we're gonna get on a boat and we're gonna go up into that little weird armpit of florida then we're gonna follow it and we're gonna fucking land off the coast of louisiana and then you know what we're gonna do we're gonna fucking gorge ourselves on oysters Uh uh-huh and then we're going to shipwreck ourselves on Galveston Island. Okay. Uh-huh. But I like this so far. Because we know how to swim, it will not be a problem. And we'll just be like, oh, it's okay. Oh, whatever. We know what's going to happen yeah. next. In fact, I'll grab onto a, a, a life vest. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. No, we'll go on a crazy <laughs> adventure. Um, and we'll end up seven years later back where we started, I think, or write a book. I'll bet it. you we can raise pigeons. So, like, instead of becoming the macaw capital of the world, we will become the pigeon capital of the world. And what we'll do is this. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is even better. Oh. We won't actually train the pigeons to fucking do shit. But people won't know that. Mm-hmm. We'll just tell them that we have trained all of these pigeons to be like bomb drones uh-huh. we'll say that we have project that we have in fact perfected project pigeon 
And you and I know so much about B.F. Skinner and Uh his comings and goings and all of his wonderful, clearly wonderful inventions. Yeah, we're experts, instant experts. That will sell everyone these, like, pigeon missiles, right? Oh, yeah. And Mm -hmm. we'll collect all of their money, and we will, in fact, raise pigeons. But Mm -hmm. what we're selling them is just a pigeon. Yes. Like, maybe we give it a funny outfit, put it, like, a little band on it. Like, maybe we, like, hot glue, like, some kind of a microchip to it, to its brain. Like, we're not actually going to implant anything into it. Like, that would be very shitty. Yeah. I don't want, you know, but we'll just take regular pigeons and glue a little chip on them. And then, and then sell these pigeons and that these are like bomb pigeons and that if they send us all of their fucking Bitcoin money or whatever, or gold, whatever, um, preferably gold. Um, okay. So I'm glad you're back. No, I need you to go back to the Skinner page. Uh Sorry. So. I know that we've gotten lost a few different times on the BF Skinner oh, page because wow, it's I feel incredible. like there's I'm always... having fun. Um, could you go down to superstition in the pigeon uh, now? Yes. yes. Oh my god. Let me move this so I can. There we go. Okay, I need to read this first paragraph. I I'm not. I, I don't know what it says, Brian. Okay. We're gonna find out together. Okay. <laughs> One of Skinner's experiments examined the formation of superstition in one of his favorite experimental animals, the pigeon. Okay, so I think we've entered the uh, methamphetamine delusion stage of Skinner's existence. And he believes that his pigeons are superstitious, that they're doing some kind of obsessive behavior, perhaps, because they think they need to. That's what I'm going to guess. Wow. Okay, so let's see. Skinner placed a series of hungry pigeons. So I'm going to guess that they're hungry. Okay. Skinner placed a series of hungry pigeons in a cage attached to an automatic mechanism that delivered food to the pigeon at regular intervals with no reference whatsoever to the bird's behavior. He discovered that the pigeons associated the delivery of the food with whatever chance actions they had been performing as it was delivered and that they subsequently continued to perform these same actions. Okay, so let's pause right there. Yeah. He's going to train his pigeons to repeat a behavior so that they get fed. Okay. And then later when he's like, hmm, I'm going to give them food randomly, he believes that their desire to repeat behaviors is them being superstitious as opposed to them being trained. I think that's what I'm understanding. Yeah, because he's basically... How is he saying that Like the thing that he's not... like The extra step isn't just also training? Right? It is also training. One bird was conditioned to turn counterclockwise about the cage. Right. So like they're already trained to do that. Making two or three turns between reinforcement. Another repeatedly thrust its head into one of the upper corners of the cage. A third developed a tossing response as if placing its head beneath an invisible bar and lifting it repeatedly. Those are things that it had, they had been trained. Like Mm. those things had worked previously. Like, it wasn't just they were doing something for, like, shits and giggles that had worked before. 
before they did that and food would come out so now they're like hey oh. i'm doing that fucking thing you wanted again give me my food and they're yeah. like well that's not working so then if if before i used to do that they'd give me food but that's not working well once i tried that and that worked, so let me try that again so they're what he's demonstrating is that they learn and that they long-term learn. and like but they he's can... calling it superstition basically they're Another... teaching themselves Sort of. The two birds developed a pendulum motion in which the head was extended forward and swung from right to left. Yeah, so he's like, they're trying to like, essentially what they're also saying is like, okay, well, if none of those work, then it must have been something else that we're doing. So let me try this other move. Yeah, and and I would say they're problem solving. <clears throat> the motions they're smarter described. than he is. The motions Sorry. they've described for anyone who's like a bird head or has seen you know someone with pet birds, these are kind of like normal bird motions. So it's kind of like. These are one of the random bird motions they tried as they're trying to get their little snack. And they like, oh, this is the one. This is the bird motion that they want me to do so to get my little snack. And I think. Let's see. Let's see what it says. Okay, we're going to keep going. Yeah. I'll... Skinner suggested that the pigeons behave as if they were influencing the automatic mechanism with their rituals. And that this experiment shed light on human behavior. That's stupid. Yeah, the is. experiment might be said to demonstrate a sort of superstition. The bird behaves as if there was a causal relation between its behavior and the presentation of food, although such a relation is lacking. Well, that's because the relation was taken away, but the relation was once there. No? Yeah. Yes. And they remember there it. Are... Yeah, right? They remember it. They were like, you did that shit to me last week, you fucking asshole. It's not like they there hit like, many... the reset button on their brain like every time they right? do an experiment. <laughs> oh, you're in a new one now. Okay, new box. <laughs> Forget oh, okay. everything you know. And this I one's should, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> I got a new one for you. There's keys well, in this one, I guess. Well, that's why you have to reset their fucking micro, microchip, right? <laughs> so that's why you got a little... That's hot glued just, on gotta, top of their... Yeah, you got to get the little fucking paper clip and put the button in there. You to, if you don't do that... Yeah. Oh, so... Yeah, no, that's a good, good The longest good feather. You have to get the longest feather. If you don't... So that's why it didn't work. We did. We missed the longest feather. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, Next so when now. we get the microchips, we have to make sure they have the little reset button. Because <laughs> right. you know just, that... Just, with a little like, light. With the light. You know so what's they... really funny, though? Like, because <laughs> that's customer support. Could you imagine, like, somebody trying to hold their pigeon that we've sold them and it's like it trying to stay still? And, and, like, and it's like doing that thing that birds do where they, like, neutralize and, the position of their then, head. And when they call back, they're going to be like, hey, it won't sit still. And we're like, well, it's a pigeon. <laughs> you did buy You just got to be patient. Yeah, that's in the manual. <laughs> we showed you. We even read so, you the article about how they one time used to light bats on fire. I mean, we're those people. You know, if you kill your pigeon, though, it will stay still long enough to reset it. But that does defeat the point of, of having it alive in the first place. There are many, I'm going to read this little thing here. There, okay, are, there are many analogies in human behavior. Rituals for changing one's fortunate cards are good examples. It's, it's. And that, and I feel like that kind of stuff right there, a fortunate uh -huh. cards, is like where they cut in on that other book, where they, you know, and he mm. tries to tie. I mean, that book basically tries to tie his research, which I didn't never read any of this, mm. to like mm. everything, everything. It's 
Sure it says the bowler who has released a ball down the alley but continues to behave, behave as if she were controlling it by twisting and turning her arm and shoulders. Another case in point, but that's false because you can't control a bowling ball. Like bowling is a game of skill, and whereas like through. let's say poker, not necessarily, right? Mm. Like it could literally just be, or like twenty one could literally just be a game of chance. So here he's getting that's a skill issue on his yeah. end. Yeah. I mean, some would argue that even poker is a skill issue on his mm -hmm. end, Truly. right? Uh, but let's let's pre let's let's even just go ahead and assume that it's not. Let's pretend truly a game of skill, right? Yeah. But nonetheless, right? Like that's also the difference is that like when the gambler is doing it, they know there isn't necessarily a guaranteed payout. What they're hunting isn't the same thing that the pigeons hunting. See, because like what the gamblers is, is is they're they're hoping for the dopamine hit is I overcame the odds and won anyway because they know that there's a chance they can lose, but that's not what's happening with a pigeon who's pushing the button to get a pellet. Push a button, get a pellet. It, it, it always happened. Push a, get a pellet. Push pellet. Push pellet. It, like it happened, and so it's the other asshole who's intervening. When it's like, hey, I'm pushing the fucking button and where's my fucking pellet? Like, you just, well, that, that was the whole part of this deal. That's why you were training me. That if I get, I push it, then I get a pellet. But otherwise, like, fuck you and your pellet. I would have just, I'm a pigeon. I can just go over here and get a fucking worm on my own, I guess. But yeah. if I'm going to submit to the concept of push button, get pellet, and there actually has to be something in it for me. Pellet. Without it, fuck you. What's the point? Fuck you, Skinner. Exactly. Right? But that's not true for the gambler. He's going to get something out of it regardless. One is the thrill. And then he actually wins. And then bowling, completely different. Complete, what do you get? The thrill? But then you win. <laughs> the shoes. If you're good. You, you hit the right? shoes. The shoes. You walk out with them on your feet. Nobody fuck it with the Jesus man. <laughs> I should watch that. I haven't seen it in like a couple of years. Oh, it's so good. And 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 yeah, I'm gonna okay. I'm watch it tonight. I think actually. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. You know what? I'll, I'll we'll watch it. We've been watching Coen Brothers movies. I need a good. We're comedy. gonna watch the Ballad of Buster Scruggs actually, which is I've never why. Seen that. Oh, it actually opens with a version of Cool Water, the song that we played earlier today. Wow. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. That's great. These behaviors, of course, have no real effect upon one's luck or upon a ball pl ball halfway down an alley. Just as in the present case, the food would appear as often if the pigeon did nothing or, more strictly speaking, something else. Yeah, but the pigeon doesn't know that. But that's, anyway. Modern See, behavioral psychologists, here we go, have disputed Skinner's superstition explanation for the behaviors he recorded. Subsequent research, while finding similar behavior, failed to find support for Skinner's adventitious reinforcement explanation for it by looking at the timing of different behaviors with the interval they were able to distinguish two classes of behavior the terminal which response which occurred in anticipation of food and interim responses that occurred earlier in the interfood interval and were rarely contiguous with food terminal responses seem to reflect classical as opposed to operant conditioning rather than adventitious reinforcement guided by a process like that observed in 1968 by Brown and Jenkins in their auto-shaping pr okay. procedures. Yeah. Okay. The causation of interim activities, such as the schedule-induced polydipsia, uh, okay. can also 
can also cannot be traced to adventitious reinforcement. I guess what they're basically saying is that the pigeons would be like, oh, okay, I'm going to push a button. And then, like, they wouldn't get a pellet. And then they go, okay, uh, well, what if I step over on that? And then they wouldn't get a pellet. And so then they do something else. And so, like, I guess what he's also saying is that, like, Skinner saw them pushing a button and said, see, they're doing that behavior over and over again, and therefore they're being obsessive. And these people are saying, no, yeah, they pushed a button, but they were also trying all this other shit, too. So you can't really say it was superstition, because superstition would mean they would continue to fixate on that thing. Right? Like, I always have mm -hmm. to rub my lucky rabbit's foot. I always have to push the button. And then you always have to wear your lucky socks. And if you wear anything else, it's not going to work, right? So if they were truly superstitious, they wouldn't be trying on other socks. And they are doing that. They are doing other shit. So that's basically what they're saying is he's full of shit. Not for the reason I said, but because they were like, well, they tried other shit. And I was like, no, well, they're trying other shit because all of those things worked before. You know, if 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 betting so like a, it would be like a poker player saying every time I have double aces then I always go for triple, I always go for that superstition. But a good poker player doesn't abide by the superstition. Right. They go well, but what else have I already played? Have I already, I I know that guy had, right? Like or whatever. Or I know I already burned an acer. But there's also right? but a superstitious guy would say I always have. But there's also those like double overlapping kind of like brain states where you have like the superstition and not at real like baseball players are a great example of that. They don't I don't think that truly most professional baseball players truly believe oh. that if they don't do one thing or another, some. Yeah, no, I'm doing the superstition. <laughs> I just yeah. Uh, I, I, think... I just can't actually pull on my ears, so I'm wearing my yeah, headset. Yeah, exactly. Um, the... <laughs> Like, I think that baseball players are a great example. Maybe some of them really do. I haven't talked to every baseball player out there, but I get the idea that even though they, like, oh, live have. by their super... <laughs> That's cool. Um... That even... <laughs> Sorry. Just like, even I just like that you said that. I wanted to ask you a question, but I'm just going to keep going. Who are you like, oh, really? Well, what about... I'm like, no, I'm... Yeah, I just know that's what I was about to do. Um, <laughs> no, uh... <laughs> No, I think with baseball players, they probably, you know, um, do and don't, you know, they hold them simultaneously, these beliefs of like, whether it's, you know, when I walk up to the plate, I got to do this, that, or that even it's like, in their mind, it's a 0.0001% chance improvement to their, I don't know, ability to like, mm -hmm. get to first base a little bit quicker when they're going to, you know, do something. I don't know. I don't know. When I feel like the baseball superstition is also something like, somebody's signature dance when they get to the nfl and so right where it's more like oh well what stupid little dance are they gonna do when they get to the end and like we wait and they have like signature moves and that's cool yeah. right some people can like some people can even name the people they have like no, their own names they do the 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 something houston shuffle, shuffle or something yeah. you know and they call it a name or like the, you know whatever and it's cool and it's fun right yeah. and i feel like the baseball shit is kind of the same thing where they get to go like oh like well i always have to like fuck with my glove man for me it's my yeah. glove you and some are like it. for me it's my helmet they like <laughs> fuck with their helmet it's like they have to have like a signature move right and it's like 
like, oh, like, what are you gonna fuck with, man? Your fucking mouth guard? Like, is that gonna be your signature move? Like, my signature yeah. move is my left cleat. Like, y'all are running out of ideas. It's but true. I yeah, gotcha. Steph Curry like, has his mouth guard. I love that too. It's it's true. And there's a in baseball on the Braves, everyone has like their own like special little thing that they do, and I I like that. I appreciate that. That um. Yeah, not talking shit. Like, yeah. but you know, like. But it's part of this quote-unquote superstition, right? It's, like, not real. It's, like, what you said. Yeah. <laughs> like, they don't actually believe it. And yeah. I think that's what the Skinner guy is trying to say, though, is that, like, them doing it is somehow must be evidence that they actually believe it and that people are superstitious and that, like, this is how we can control it and operate on it. And it's, like, because it's essentially what he's saying here, right? That he can control the pigeon's environment to such a way that he gets them behaving in these superstitious manners. And I'm like, this this just keeps coming down to control for me, right? <laughs> putting and, the baby and back in the little putting the box, baby box. back in the box. And it's like that's also not why we keep pigeons. Like I don't like I don't wanna keep a pigeon. I wanna like feed a pigeon. I wanna yeah. have like a little 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 bowl of fucking yeah. seed out there and sit over business. here and go, Oh, like it, it makes little cooing noises and it, like <laughs> and it fucking trundles away because kind of fat and stupid like a little bird as far as birds are it's like really like round you know like it's not like a really live bird like a hummingbird yeah like you know but ooh. oh is that it oh no hold on hold on hold no that was a hummingbird hummingbird a pigeon just put a pigeon oh no pigeons this are this is what i was trying to find for you for if you're into hummingbird observation at all oh um, you can get a hummingbird feeder mask and then you can like look right in their face while they feed. That's what I wanted to show you. <laughs> oh my god! And you know how the many hummingbirds hum there are in viewer. Santa Fe? <laughs> oh my god! There's the they're everywhere. Yeah. There oh my go. god. Go. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna get matching. I'm gonna get like four of them and like take my friends out there. Like, this gonna, is the greatest. They moment. look like they look like hummingbird Boba Fett. Actually, I've, I've been thinking about sharing this with you for about two months. It just keeps going oh my over God. my head. <laughs> Why have you waited this long? I don't know. It keeps going. It's, it's, I never <laughs> write it down. It just lives. It's in just my head. birds never come up, you know. But here now we have the perfect <laughs> opportunity. Okay, new not... yeah, new album art. Here we go. Save it, yeah. No. Save this that one needs, for later. You know what? Can there be like maybe you can later AI generate other masks that feed other animals? <laughs> like maybe Elephant a mask. Mask. Yeah, like just Dog staying really mask. still. Like, yes, yeah, so I'm gonna write this like. one down right now. Animal feeding masks. Yes. I, I would want it like okay. So like now, what if I want to deliberately feed a squirrel? You know how we're always trying to keep squirrels off of. <laughs> the bird feeder like now i want to deliberately attract a squirrel how would i do that squirrel. but i want to do it with my mask and i want to be able to see them fucking go for it like what what am i gonna have there <laughs> am i gonna be like neck deep in acorns like that <laughs> <laughs> sounded it's <laughs> being <laughs> being neck deep <laughs> You know, like fire ants, Texas. But yeah, like instead, a... it's like it's like the tax world. Like, oh this no, like so don't cool. come closer. Uh, I want to be neck deep or in acorns. Didn't... Oh, that's how you you eat your way out. Like <laughs> this is like a real Chippendale kind of moment. 
I'm, I'm eating my way out of the big wheel of cheese that just fell in my head. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like Monterey Jack. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm the Jerry in this situation. I seem to have, while escaping that darn cat, <laughs> seem to have fallen into an entire carafe of wine. Whatever shall I do? <laughs> exactly. Cartoon hiccup noises. Yeah, like a little little champagne yeah, bubbles like the, off of me. Exactly. Jerry is floating through the air up with bubbles coming out of his mouth. Wow, or, I want that right? to ha Like, Tom maybe I kind of, like, yeah, like the the Willy Wonka Chocolate River, except it's booze. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that sounds I'll, dangerous. Ooh. There is an adult film in <laughs> adapting Willy Wonka to weed or alcohol or both. I'll let if not Hollywood get on E Network, it. you know how e to get hold yeah. of them. <laughs> exactly. You know, Kathy and I are available. Uh, we can each. I've already host. started writing the script. In fact, have... <laughs> you pitched it like ten seconds ago, <laughs> and I'm already like four pages in. Yeah, weed and alcohol. Weedly Wonka. Weed Willy Wonka. Okay. <laughs> Vice Network. We... Oh no, no longer exists. Excuse me. I'm gonna write this one more time and weed. Weedly Wonka and the Mid Factory or something. <laughs> and the Dank Factory. And the Dank yeah. Factory. And then... Uh, All we have to do is make a few episodes. We license it out to a few weed brands. We make a bunch of money. And then we can finally oh, we'll live a normal life. Uh, Tommy Chong. You know how he's always advertising oh his God. weed on online. Did you know that the flowers, our favorite flower is now legal? Have you seen, oh. <laughs> seen that ad four million oh. times on Twitter? Oh my God! Well, com so first comedy, now our favorite flower. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Come>. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. He... Actually, no. Com as as I know all too well, comedy is not legal on the website. I was banned for truth. Oh, banned for truth. Do you want to tell our audience and me because I actually oh, didn't get to see the tweet? Yeah. So, uh, so this started actually because I. I, I tweeted out my blue sky profile. I got a blue sky invite. I actually haven't even been using it because I was like, I've also had the Rona and I'm not in the right mindset to be online, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I got a blue sky invite. I made like all of two posts and one of them was like, Hey, hi, I'm on sky. And I filled in all of the shit. Right. And I immediately go over to Twitter and go, Hey, I'm on the other website now. Right. I'm going to go spend some time on the new website. So I went over to the new website and I was reading it. And uh, Elon Musk, the CEO of the origin the, of, of the blue Twitter website, had just, I guess, done something, said or done something stupid. And I don't exactly know what. But here's yeah. what I did recognize. All right. That all of these people who were on the brand new Elon free website. Oh, of course. A lot of people. Were tweeting uh, or sub skeeting, oh, skeeting. They were skeeting because that's what it's called. They were skeeting about Elon Musk, and they had Twitter screen caps that they were then s providing skeet commentary on. And this okay. bothered me because the idea is is that if we're on blue sky, we're free, right? L go. Like we've we've left Elon behind, and mm -hmm. now we've. And, and like what's funny is like the blue sky interface is like looks exactly like Twitter. There's like it's like it looks oh, like a Twitter it? clone. It doesn't really look any different at all. Wow. Uh, almost all of the functionality is exactly the same. So yes, it's about to happen. We're about to all jump ship 
like it's wow. it's just a matter of time, Brian. It's Interesting. just this happened okay. with all of the other things. I can see it now. I'm, I'm ready. But it's going to be the same cesspool essentially that Twitter is and has been, right? Wow. And that's fine. It, it, like in that sense it's fine. But so I I go over to Twitter and I write the following words. Okay. I see a lot of people subskeeting on the other website and screen capping at Elon Musk. Now, I want to pause here, Brian, and let you know that I have Elon Musk blocked. I have all of that shit blocked. I have him mm, muted. Good point. Right? So even if I tweet at him, I have him blocked, so he's not going to see it. I've said it only for my own self. Right. It does not going to show up in his notifications. Why would it? Uh, I have him blocked. Right. Yeah. Okay, so... I've so, said this for my own self, but Twitter I have added it. Yeah. But I have added. And then I said, why would you subskeet when you can just come onto Twitter and call at Elon Musk a dumb bitch right to his face? Huh. So fast forward some hours. And that, my friend, was the tweet that got me uh, wow. suspended for seven days. A friend of mine responded to that in a laughing tone, and he caught a suspension for 24 hours. If you go over to my profile, you can see oh, where he actually talks about it. Yeah, take a look. But um, but it was fine. So, like, I caught the block the same moment I woke up and tested positive for COVID. And I said, well, whatever. So I've I've been reading, as you see. I've been instead reading. I've been yeah. doing something productive with my life. I like that. Instead. That's respectable. <laughs> I didn't even subskeet. No I, I stopped. Yeah, no, I just I walked away. I said, I don't think this place is ready yet. Because everyone is still like mad at Elon for ruining the other website to begin with. And like, look, I get it. But this is the way it is. Like you just it, it, it's like the, it's like the social network of Theseus. We're all going to change over. Some of us are going to have new names. I used a new name, but I'm still me. I'm going like, to use I'm, a new name, the, too. That's fine. Like, the, you know, like, whatever. I've been this one for I don't know how long. I've changed names a thousand times, right? But I'm still not my legal name on the website. Like, <laughs> I mean, strategy. whatever. <laughs> and if you saw it, you'd probably go, that looks like me. Oh, you know, okay. Okay. like, you know, it looks, it looks similar. Okay. There's some there's some branding continuity there. You know, it, it didn't go complete Pepsi redesign document there. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about there, but if not, we will discuss this as well. Please. Uh, oh, my God. Here, let me get, let, let me I'm going to take screen share for a moment. Okay. Let me stop. Or rather, let me find this thing and then I'll take screen share. So Pepsi wanted to make a new logo. And they got some ad geniuses. Okay. <laughs> this is a real document from Pepsi. It's not like a joke. Okay. 
That's <laughs> the title is already like. But it's it, it's it's sick. It's gonna be so sick, and it's gonna blow your mind in a way that you did not Hold expect. On. That's also no. I already decided that is once again now the new uh, uh, so, uh, title for this episode. Breaking. What was it again? It was uh, breaking. Um, it was like a. The, just above here is. I'm using my fingers to scroll up. Hold on, I want to do page fit. No, because then we'll just scroll through it. Breaking Hold the on. code for innovations. Yeah. Undo. I'll do page width. That's okay. <clears throat> okay. Just know that like these pages are essentially like. Like we're actually looking like at a eight and a half by eleven sheet full mm -hmm. on portrait mode, right? But and Kathy is a corporate executive for the Pepsi Cola, mm -hmm. or excuse me, Yum Food, uh, the Pepsi division of the Yum Food Brands uh, stock ticker organization. That's right. So, how do we move from convention to innovation? It's a great question. How mm. do we do that? Yeah, I've thought mm. about this a couple times in the board. Room. Is it a straight line? Is it a straight <laughs> line, Brian? I don't know. I think it is, Kathy. And you want to tell me why? <laughs> I mean, I just know that by investing in our history and brand ethos, we can create a new trajectory forward. Do you think if we influence, um, or actually, maybe the word is infused, a little bit of our brand DNA in the middle of the convention and innovation on a trend line kind of up about 35 degrees, do you think? I mean, I, I think that's the Pepsi way. Okay. We can't do it without our Pepsi DNA. All right. Do you think the intersection of convention and innovation and DNA is Pepsi? I mean, I think investment in our DNA would lead to breakthrough innovation and would allow us to move out of the traditional linear system and into the future. Mm. I think as we go from convention to innovation, mm -hmm. our brand DNA mm -hmm. takes us to the future. I believe you so far. I don't know. I believe you. But we need to continue investing. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and for reinvention. Uh huh. Do you think that innovation is sacrificed at all if we double back on the future twice with the two intersections of the brand? Do you think that the intersection of the brand's future is also the midpoint between now and the future? I think we have a lot of futures. Okay. Okay. Do you think we that a lot of alternate 1985 plays into this at any time from Back to the Not Future yet. 2? Okay. It might. Okay. Let's like a let's oh, So let's take origins. a look at what our the origins. Let's take <laughs> Let's look at our brand heritage. What 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 is our We're, DNA? Where did we start? What is the roots uh, of our family tree if you the will? The space shuttle and then there is the um uh let's see. Uh, there was the Michael Jackson commercial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. The Pepsi ethos has indeed evolved over time. <laughs> the vocabulary of truth and simplicity is a reoccurring phenomena in the brand's history, though. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. communicates the brand in a timeless manner and with an expression of clarity. Mm. Pepsi breathtaking. That's going to be the name of this particular ad campaign. Breathtaking builds on this knowledge. True innovation always begins by investigating the historic path. Going back to the roots moves the brand forward as it changes the trajectory of the future. Let me remind you, changing the trajectory of the future, got to get our DNA in there. So that history, 
really important for the future. So much like so Lucky So I know Stubbs, that's a little complicated, sauce. but there's yeah, a little bit of us in every can. Glad you um, you got it. Glad you're following along. This <laughs> yeah. is really heady stuff here, Brian. <laughs> Breathtaking. Uh, would you consider? <laughs> <laughs> If you paid me several million dollars to create this for you, and I gave you just a little like a little breakdown of what your cans used to look like in 1910 <laughs> and 1970, just in basic outline, and then today's no, no, was no, just no, you said, okay. see, but that's where you're wrong. I'm jumping Brian. ahead. See, I'm jumping ahead. Excuse no, me. I'm jumping but ahead. But see, that's why you're wrong, and that's why you're not getting paid the big bucks. See, I heard you say the evolution of the can. From 1910 to 1970, but if you look carefully, uh, in 1910 what yeah. we have is a bottle, yeah. and in 1970 what we have is a can. Yeah. But if you look carefully here at 2009, <laughs> what we have is a question mark. Because yeah. what is the container of the future? Is uh, it a pouch? It's a pouch. It's that little, you know what it is? It's whatever little, like, foil pouch in Back to the Future 2 they take out the little tiny pizza and put it in the big pizza oven where it becomes a normal-sized pizza. That's the container. I think it's those pouches that have that screw on top that toddlers have. It's the way they sell milk in Canada in the bags. <laughs> it's that. Except what about soda. Pepsi? Pepsi in a little milk cart. Right, because they were going for pilk or whatever, Pepsi and milk. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Brian. I know. I know that this seems heady, but look, I, I got you. Got to see. We're only at page five of twenty-seven. I'm gonna so fucking I love you. this. This is my favorite day. No, dude, this shit's amazing. Thank this you. This is for my favorite day me. this year. Thank you, Kathy. Oh my god. Where you can see all the learning that has been happening oh, while yeah. I'm on pandemic. Uh, In two thousand nine. Um, we decided to upheave how soda was consumed, but we're not That's sure right. how yet. We're not sure how. That is because breathtaking Pepsi is a strategy based on the evolution. <laughs> Are you listening to this, Brian? Please. This is the evolution of 5,000 plus years of shared ideas in design philosophy, creating an authentic constitution of design. This chart documents the origin and evolution of intellectual property so like on the isle of like uh, uh nosos or whatever in the greek isles and they're like making the ancient like amphora and they're filling it with like greek mountain dew that's right you see this this is sacred geometry right here brian but you see these lines no i can't believe this <laughs> but wait there's more when you take all of this sacred geometry and you put it all together, what we have no, in 3000 BC. No, this is Pythagoras. The Vastru Sastra, the Hindu tradition of numerical harmony as spatial organizer. Where you can see a natural sunflower grid, but perhaps yeah. the same thing in a city grid, mm. a dome grid, or yeah. even a house grid. This in 600 true. BC, Pythagoras creates spatial hierarchies for musical scales, what we call musica mundana. We can see these in the proportions of a circle, the subproportions evident to us through Euclidean geometry. But in 300 BC, Euclid explores the mathematics and proportion of nature, perfecting this origin of mathematics into the golden ratio. Pythagoras. Where we see. I had no idea. 
the natural golden spiral, the Parthenon, Da Vinci's Mona Lisa for some fucking reason here, and then the geometric golden meat, did things you know, which were known to these people here ha- too, by the way. I didn't know, Kathy. Are you aware that the Mona Lisa was created somewhere around um, 300 BC? I guess according to the golden ratio. Okay. In 278 BC, we have Feng Shui, the ancient Chinese art placement and spatial arrangement, natural magnetic energy, duality and balance, the elements of energy, all here visually represented in this Pepsi breathtaking design document. Where where do you think that they put their Ikea coffee tables in Pompeii? Do you think uh, those were conveniently placed near the door with the TV sort of on the wall hanging? I think they put it next to their child box. Okay. (laughs) In fact, I think that's why they had the table is to put the child box on top of it. Do you think they made the child boxes in the same clay factories where they made all the amphoras and stuff like that? (laughs) In in, in just a, a... a mere 70 years before the birth mm. of Christ, we approach the Vitruvian principle, which I point out here is a Da Vincian concept. I guess, however, <laughs> too late for the Mona Lisa. There's three things from Da Vinci on here. Two of them are before he was born by a thousand years or more. The art of building. Alberti draws on the relation of numbers and areas. Oh. Here we get these... These, these aspect ratio proportions, which are deemed beautiful according to the golden ratio. See, oh. these, this is just building on Ooh. building on design principles oh. for over 5,000 years, Brian. Wait. So you can see here. Oh. That's right. As you keep going, the Vitruvian Renaissance, Ooh. Rene Descartes' Cartesian coordinate system of the geometry in 1637, oh. Mobius, who creates this very strange design of Mobius strip. A surface with only one side and one edge. Edgy, shall we say. Perhaps in line with the Pepsi brand. The modular, when Le Corbusier draws algebraic relations into the human body. Because as you can plainly see, this is exactly how people look. This is how I look. Like, (laughs) perspective and my arms. Sometimes I do this with my hands, like little crab hands. Like this. And in 2009, here we are building on this beautiful tradition. Mm-hmm. Pepsi oh, introduces breathtaking. But we don't know what it is yet. We're just... Yeah. My breath is taken waiting to... Oh. Yeah. Derived oh. from PepsiCo's rich packaging legacy and inspired by some of its earliest forms and proportions, breathtaking revitalizes the essence of PepsiCo and creating an iconic shape for the brand. Let's take a Look at when we purchased Pepsi by the Growler. <laughs> I want to say that looks a lot like uh, several episodes ago. I mentioned to you how originally they sold Coke right in the syrup out of a jug, and you're supposed to like mix it yourself. I think that's what we're looking at. Is like a, a Pepsi syrup jug where you just Pepsi taking, concentrate. Can you just imagine just putting that thing right up to your lips and just going like? Yeah, it's like the squishy juice that, oh. like, when it's like concentrated squishy, and like Bart oh. gets it. Cool. Yes. Yeah, it's just like probably like squirting like a liquid nerd's rope down your throat. <laughs> and here we visualize. have a page that is the history of the Pepsi bottle from 1898 when it is in growler form mm-hmm. to around 1915 when <laughs> it's in seltzer form. Vaudevillian. Spritzer. 
vaudevillian <laughs> spritzer form when you're actually getting a phosphorus down at the <laughs> pharmacy. An egg cream, perhaps. In 1920, when you can just see a milk guy being upset that he's delivering more Pepsi than milk, because what is the world coming to with all these crazy flappers? <laughs> and that's just their bad moms. These beautiful dresses and, and, and un, unhealthy drinks. But look, look at this bottle. They're clearly appealing to the flapper lifestyle. Oh, so yeah. they're like, you know, they're they're like the Dodgers, you know, they're like they're going to like the milkmen, I mean, are like, like the Dodgers being like, ooh, how dare they? And the, meanwhile, this is like Bud Light being like, we love trans people, but not really. Okay, so 1930 and then 1940, where it starts to look like the champagne of soda. <laughs> Uh, and then we, in the 1960s, start oh, to get what I would say that. are more uh, kind of classic, traditional shapes. I, I so. find that uh, little swirly kind of bottle very attractive. That's mm-hmm, very cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then they're like, in the 2000s, we got these dope one-liter bottles. Mm. So let's, let's, let's see. Overlay. In, if we take all of these, Isn't let's try. Isn't that like try. a Beatles poster? Isn't that like a Beatles This is synthesis. Behind? Uh-huh. 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 So, oh, 1896 Pepsi geometries, perimeter oscillations. The Pepsi DNA finds its origin in the dynamic of perimeter oscillations. This new identity manifests itself in an authentic geometry that is to become proprietary to the Pepsi culture. So here we have the original Pepsi Cola logo, like in a bright red lettering font looks like old-timey script like a guy took out his fucking nib pen and was like i'm gonna make a cool logo and he made like essentially the cool s version of pepsi cola yeah i'm like uh, vellum (laughs) but now let's deconstruct let's take all of that original hand-drawn diy let's let let's 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 put this in like autocad it looks like we're finding the the face on mars here Mm -hmm. yeah i love this no we're just going to continue to abstract this because like the the more we abstract this we're, we're, we're like filtering the dna i hope you know do you feel like we're getting to the essence of the pepsi logo yet I mean, here we are tracing oh. Pepsi DNA. We're going to find out. So now let, let, let's, so this is, that's what this is. So here we take that DNA and we. Pepsi or Cola. And we, and, 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 and we've deconstructed it. So this is, it's, this is the shape of this logo to its essence. Yeah. Let's look at another logo. Let's do the same thing. So here's the 1905 lo- logo. Oh, clean. Hmm? And they're like, Pepsi, it's a Cola, basically with that oh. colon. Drink it. It's a little try hard. <laughs> but at least it's telling me what to do with it. It doesn't say bathe it. Doesn't like squirt they in your in eyes. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> I don't know. Shine your shoes with it. Yeah. I'm going to drink it. Got it. Okay. So I've, we've deconstructed that logo. We get this. Okay. Hmm. Let's do that again. Tracing. 1906. Oh, okay. We're looking a little different. In 1905, they were a little sassy. In 1906, they're like, let's clean it up a little bit. Mm hmm. And we're starting to see like an eight forming in some of the, mm-hmm, the methodologies mm-hmm. here. Do see lots of globes? Globes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I do see we're transforming into globes. Oh, globes with a little swirl. Oh, 29. So we really sat in that one for a while. Mm-hmm. Then we get out the blue ovals. It looks oh, like look, we're... But, that, but yeah, but here we are. Back to the classics. Uh-huh. 
Uh -huh. See what we got here? Yeah. We still have an orb going. Huh. Uh -huh. A lot more orb, much more clearly defined lettering for the yeah. logo. Yeah, I'm seeing letters emerge. Almost as if mm. suggestion. Oh, look at this. And now we have a name tag, rectangular 1930 badge, but still that old-timey logo in there. And it's registered with the U.S. Patent Office. They want that to be clear on the logo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. And we have some horizontal ovals. 1960. Oh, oh. this is shocking. Yes. Tell this me must... why, Brian. The Pepsi fan base must have been extremely shocked when in 1962, <laughs> the Pepsi geometries were, uh, let's see, altered to create uh, different perimeter oscillations, a more circular vibe. And we're looking at a real classic image of the bottle cap. And I would say today, if you drink a, uh, uh, an import Coke, as they call them, you're actually going to see this logo, perhaps, mm -hmm. on the leave on the like neck part going into the bottle. But we still got the perimeter oscillations yeah. all the way around because of that cap. So yeah. we still got that. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Somehow, though, in the deconstruction, the oscillations are lost, though, which yeah. I find disturbing. Yeah. Well, they're the, the professional designers. I, I... No, that's true. I mean, you know, who am I? <laughs> yeah. In 1971, we lose the perimeter oscillation altogether. Ooh. For the sake of what I would describe the old timey bowling alley Pepsi sign. Yeah. Ooh, over this makes me think the... of pizza. Ooh, and real greasy, mm -hmm. nasty bowling alley mm -hmm. pizza, but I want it. Really 1971. Cool. This is very like uh yeah, arcade on that seventies okay. show. So I was eating pizza in a fifteen, twenty year old restaurant that still had them up from when they were built. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. I like it. Ooh. More, uh, I feel like we've seen this one before. Stick into something tried and true. What happened in 91? Oh. oh. Well, now we get into the NBA era yeah. of 1991 Pepsi, where it's very dynamic, forward-looking. Like it looks the ball. like... Yeah. Uh -huh. Taking a sip of that drink and throwing it And back. They we're measuring this angle. It's at 14. Now it's a very precise. Angles didn't matter before, but now... 14 degrees. 15, too much. 13, mm, too little. Too little. 12, nah, not dynamic. But 14, you win the extra $1,000. 98. Oh, and it went, yeah, see. For the online era. Now uh -huh. where maybe this looks like it belonged like on a on an ad somewhere yeah. on like right. Huffington Post. <laughs> exactly. It's me 14 of them in different shapes and sizes. They all pretty much are the same Pepsi ad. AOL keyword Pepsi. Pepsi. And I'm going there and I'm excited and I can't wait to see what I find. I'm looking for games. I'm looking for for clips Pepsi of my trivia. Tony Hawk doing a little kickflip that's three seconds. Yeah. Okay, so here we are at page 17, Brian, and I just, you know, thank you for coming down the Pepsi memory lane. Oh, but I'm going to pause right here because... <laughs> Here for section C of the presentation, we have Towards Innovation, Projecting Pepsi's Future. So how do we apply the universal laws of our Pepsi DNA to establish a blueprint for the brand? Uh, wow. Please tell me. That's a lot of words. Uh -huh. uh, oh. First we have 
So in the creation of identity and precedence, architects and artists have proportioned their works to approximate the golden ratio, especially in the form of the golden rectangle, in which the ratio of the longer side to the shorter side is the golden ratio. They believe this proportion to be universally and aesthetically pleasing. The golden ratio plays an essential role in human perception of beauty, as all of those artists have shown us. I feel like I'm having an intellectual equivalent of being like... uh, like uh, you're being Pepsi filled, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we've been over the importance of Leonardo da Vinci and his work. And 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 he, the most is that like the Magna Carta? Man is... of... Sorry, I have no idea what that is. It says book format and page and layout are based on the golden proportion. I think it's just that I think that was an accident to you. Okay, but you know whatever. Okay, so Pepsi. This is okay. truly one of the greatest things I've ever seen. <laughs> okay, so the golden ratio. You know how it starts? It starts with a square. But you know what? Mm-hmm. The Pepsi ratio. It starts with a circle. Mm, I like We're the way gonna you said take. That. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank mm. you for practicing my yeah. Pepsi presentation. <laughs> my my Pepsi present. My Pepsi. Pep. Pep. Pre. Pepsi-ntation. So the golden ratio starts with a square, but the Pepsi ratio, it starts with a circle. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. So we have a square. Um, draw a circle with diameter. Everyone at home, draw a circle with diameter D equals A. Thank so you. the diameter is the length A. Mm-hmm. And, then on the, on, and, and then I also have a square with side A. So that's A squared. Right. But for the Pepsi, instead of the radius being a, which I think would make more sense Mm -hmm. here, the whole diameter is a, which is fine. I mean, this is the Pepsi ratio. Right. So it starts with a circle. mm -hmm, Starts with a circle. So circle. And then you're going to draw two circles inside of that circle. So it looks like an eight. Right. So you mentioned that eight that started to pop up. Well, guess what? That's how we're going to make it happen. And then what we're going to do is we're going to cut it in this certain way that a third circle shows up over here in this certain way. And that makes sense. And I hope you're following along with how that follows yeah. with the square you two see, somehow. When you take a circle and you put it in a box, uh, uh, sometimes uh, those boxes really love each other. And you get uh, I don't, yeah. a point, you get a 45 degree 0.5a in a couple other circles. Yeah, I don't even know what they... I mean, this is nonsense. It's a family. It's a family, really. I don't know how that... How, like... Hold on, let me... Where's my thing? Hold on. I don't see how... Okay, so I see how square and circle... I see that analogy. I see how square and square... Okay, I see that. I don't see how that to that is somehow that to that. I feel like there should be two little squares in here, right? Yeah. Shouldn't there be two little squares right there? Definitely. Definitely. There should be like a grid outline over that. Right. Maybe, maybe, maybe instead of like squares like that, maybe they should, I feel like, hold on, I can annotate. Maybe I feel like they should be like, yeah, like it should be like, uh, Oh, oh, oh. yes, yes, that's all relative. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, so yeah. anyway, I don't understand how this is all sliding out, but in the, in the Pepsi ratio, 
this is what we see happen. So we're just going to, we can follow the instructions, but you know, you got to take your time. You got to get out a really straight ruler and sharpen your pencil. And so we're going to do all of these divisions and cuts and such. And What's that? Yeah, we're still recording. We're still. Yeah. But no, it's okay. You're fine. But we'll finish up the Pepsi presentation because this is really like we're almost there. We're on page 19 of Pepsi. Okay. So so, uh, all of these have just been like mechanical instructions of how to do the drawings. I won't read those. You can find the Pepsi document online. But uh, what's important here is that the Pepsi brand is created by intersecting circles with a set proportion to each other. The coordinates of that are marked X is the set proportion. And this is the set proportion of the golden ratio too. You can see we did all this golden ratio shit oh over here. God. See? So that's golden ratio. And when we mark those off, that gives us the Pepsi brand. The Pepsi ratio is created by two simple circles that are set in ratio to each other, the golden ratio. So this P for Pepsi. Wait a minute. Wait yeah. a minute. And then this doesn't equate. It's like they go five, six, seven. Okay, we're done. Don't ask any questions. And then the Pepsi ratio, which is this right here, is aesthetic geometry. Now, is that a logo that they still employ? They were using it for a while. The golden ratio establishes a proportion. See, so we're going to keep, we're going to bring back this. Pepsi shape right here. Let's start over. That's a base. And we're going to keep messing with it. Let's see what else the Pepsi proportions give us. Okay, so circles of all kinds. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, well, when we start to put all these circles together, when we put them in the golden ratio shape, shape. Well, well, now we're really starting to get to the geometry of aesthetics. And that's dynamics. I think I sort of understand how they got this little like leg thing they put this circle and they put these circles together and then they did the circle and somehow all of those circles fit like that and uh, then they got that the geometry of aesthetics is dynamics according to pepsi the oh, Earth's no. geodynamo okay. what? is a naturally occurring electric generator in fluid motion that generates and sustains the Earth magnetic field. And it is that liquid dynamism that we are referencing here in the Pepsi globe. This is Much like the Earth has magnetic fields, we have Pepsi energy fields. This is how the Pepsi energy is manifesting itself through the shape of the Pepsi logo. How are there south, southern and northern the poles pep- on a low? Please keep going. I, I, I love this. This is insane. This was- Just like there are magnetic dynamics, there are Pepsi globe dynamics. See, this is static. It's dynamic. Static. Yeah. Dynamic. You're saying it looks 3D in two different ways. So we could do this. We could do it like that. Look at, just look at what happens when we slightly change the shape on the eye inside of the Pepsi ball, of the Pepsi marble. Multiple perspectives, one identity, multiple emotions, a happy Pepsi, a smiling Pepsi, 
a talking, laughing Pepsi. Wait, did they? A koi Pepsi. Did they use different versions of this on different cans? Did they really? Do? I have no did idea. I just never, did we never notice this? I have no idea. Whoa. What the hell? Because this is what happens when you look at the Pepsi globe straight on. Kathy, this is but some real like, subliminal shit. In... Like, they spent millions of dollars this is, for this, this is chart this... right here. Because this they, they believe in the Skinnerian delight that if we put a little smiling face on their fucking wow. soda can that they'll be more like well and look at this this is my water can all of these little smiling little watermelons all all of the watermelons are pointing up every single one and they all have little eyeballs around here all the little bubbles that you can't see right because it's too far away from where you are but i can see it Oh. <laughs> no, I have all oh, the right. hair still. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, all of the points of view of Pepsi. All the faces of Pepsi. Who are the faces of Pepsi? Are you the face of Pepsi? I'm the face of Pepsi. I'm smiling Pepsi, laughing Pepsi, coy, goofy Pepsi. Either way, though, I am a smiling goofy ridiculous pepsi wow drunk this... pepsi yawning pepsi this is totally nuts the face of a new generation the creation of identity this started out wow wow this is so weird a multi-dimensionalized brand motion transforms 2d into 3d from 2d circle to 3d sphere a sphere is defined as the surface formed by rotating a circle about any diameter that's just math the brand identity is dimensionalized through motion oh making it look like a 3d image on a 2d plane color theory objective color subjective emotion a breathtaking color palette. The breathtaking color palette is derived using a scientific method of color assignment based on the product's essence and primary features. Each color on the color wheel is associated with a subjective psychic and emotional value. Cool, cool, fresh, energetic and balanced. See, that's all cool, rich and fresh cool light and fresh is this something they intended to go to the public i have no idea wow none of this i have no idea like i just i i don't know when the first time i saw this was but i've remembered it ever since imagine what this thing says in 2023 like if that was typical a light path typical shopping aisle whoa the pepsi pr proposition yeah, so they want you to we're look creating a gravitational pull what is that? Oh, it's Pepsi. The gravitational pull of Pepsi. This is... The relativity of space and time, it literally says. Oh my god. 
And now they're like, this is like... Pepsi aisle, 60 degrees. Pepsi aisle, 30 degrees. Pepsi aisle, 10 degrees. Either way, though, you will see a positive Pepsi. Pepsi logo. This is the creation of identity. This is the Pepsi universe. We have the Pepsi planet. But we have the Pepsi galaxy. It it lists the speed of light. One X light year. Yeah, that's the planet. But two of them... (laughs) Galaxy. The galaxy. And wow. that's it. And that's and they wanted to they were like and then uh and you know in the year three thousand seven hundred and seventy seven Pepsi will have been in every gas you know, space gas station in space. That's that's how you grow a business is you say shit like that. <laughs> wow. Well, I learned a lot. Well, Brian, there. that was incredible. Yeah. We have had a day. That was a great that way was to really finish fun. too. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go get. What's that? A fucking Coca Cola. <laughs> uh, huh. I don't even know. How I, can. <laughs> I want a banana. Oh, I did think I wrote down an outro. A song. banana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something. Let's see. Uh, what do you think? Do you think we could do? Uh, Yes. Why did Lil John? What was the song we were talking? We said something earlier. I didn't write down the name of the song. Which one was it? Hmm. Doesn't fit now. Well, I don't know. Song. Well, but well, I believe you. One. There we go. I don't know if there's any songs about Pepsi. I know there's like songs about Coke. Yeah, I'll do. A, I mean, I don't. I don't know why Pepsi doesn't get on that shit instead of their weird ass design document. You know what I'll do? I'll play the very last scene in Mad Men. How about that? I'll play the oh, audio from that. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. Brian. Yep. As always. Yes. The joy a, and a pleasure. This was excellent. I had a very fun time, and uh, we'll do it again next week, hopefully. Absolutely. Yeah. You enjoy the rest of your weekend. Bye-bye, Kathy. Bye bye, Kathy. Bye. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I like to teach the world to sing. Sing with me.
episode 52 journey here on Reality Issues. Kathy, Brian, and I want to extend a heartfelt thank you for joining us today. Your company and your curiosity are what make this journey worthwhile. We've certainly covered a lot of ground, and we hope you found our exploration of graphic design through the lens of the Pepsi universe with a gentle nod to the world of Coke to be as stimulating as we do. We've delved deep into the Pepsi design ideas and even had a chance to peek into the historical interplay between Coke and the aesthetic phenomenon that is illegal. It's fascinating how these brands are you know don't get a chance to take Guardian of the Chaos Emeralds signing off. Lose yourself to dance.